What is going on everyone? This is Miles with Windows Central Gaming and welcome to the 72nd episode of Xbox Chatterdays. Today I am stoked to be joined once again by my good pal Ainsley Bowden of Seasoned Gaming. Ains, how are you doing on this fine Saturday, my dude? I'm good, man. What's happening? I uh, woke up, played some games, and I'm looking forward to chatting all the nonsense with you here in a few minutes. Oh, yes. Uh, I love that. You know, we, we talk a lot, you know, behind yeah. the scenes, but I always love having you on the show. Always love Thanks. the conversations that we have, and we do have some good stuff to talk about today. So we're going to yeah, be dive, diving into the Xbox Game Pass titles for the first half of July. We're going to be talking about a big change coming to Games with Gold. We're going to be talking about E3's big comeback plans. We're going to be talking a little bit about the pirate adventures of Skull and Bones and the great game of the year debate and a bunch of other stuff. So a lot of great topics. But first, Ains, for the people joining us, let them know who you are and where they can find you. Yeah, man. What's going on, everyone? Um, so, yeah, a everyone just knows me as Ains, even though it says Ainsley Bowden. Nobody calls me Ainsley. Um, I'm the uh, editor-in-chief over at Season Gaming. Uh, I've given this uh, kind of two cents before, I know, but we're just an uh, independent outlet. Does everything non-monetized. So no ads on the site, no monetization on our YouTube channel. And uh, we cover everything. Uh, I write and talk a lot about, uh, about Xbox, of course. Um, but as an outlet, we cover everything. So uh, from a positivity standpoint. So if you like positive game news, like to support smaller independent outlets that kind of cover everything without your, uh, your clickbait, your nonsense, your Kotaku's, as I like to say, um, then uh, check us out over at Season Gaming. Appreciate you. Beautiful. Before we start getting into some of the topics for today's show, some quick housekeeping. There unfortunately won't be an episode of Xbox Chatterdays next weekend. I will be at a destination game preview. So... I can't say anything right now, but you will see some pics from me uh, later on next week uh, about what I'm what I'm checking out there. So looking forward to all of that. But unfortunately, I will be out of town that weekend. So no episode next week. With that out of the way, let's dive straight into the titles coming to Xbox Game Pass for the first half of July. And it's a pretty meaty list. Um, huge number of games coming to the service. I will quickly go through and break down what is coming and when it's coming. First. Some of the Yakuza's are making their way back to Xbox Game Pass, which I thought was really interesting. So we have Yakuza 0, we have Yakuza Kiwami, uh, we have Yakuza Kiwami 2, and those are all out now. We have DJ Max Respect 5, which is out now. Uh, I, I did check that out briefly, and it is a very intense DJ experience that does not work well on a controller, but you can play it on a controller. Would not recommend it. Would just recommend you play it on PC, or they even have support for DJ peripherals, like legit DJ peripherals. So it's, if you are an aspiring DJ, definitely check okay. that one out. Uh, Matchpoint Tennis, which is also out now. A surprise announcement is Garden Story, which I'm incredibly excited about because I've almost bought that on Switch probably four or five times now. Cute little game about a, a grape going on this little adventure. We have Escape Academy coming July 14th. My friend Peppa Pig coming July 14th. Paw Patrol the Movie Adventure City Calls, July 14th, and Power Wash Simulator on July 14th. So, Ains, there, there's a lot of games here. There's a lot of games for a lot of different gamers, you could say. How are you feeling about this list for the first half of July? Yeah, this is... First, I want to say, 
they Paul Patrol needs to hire you as their, their <laughs> spokesperson because <laughs> you <laughs> you could get people hyped up about Paul Patrol and I don't think anyone could say that. Um, yeah, I'm all right with it. I mean, a lot of this doesn't really uh, interest me. Um, the Yakuza's I've really liked um, the the modern uh, or the new turn based one, uh, like a dragon or whatever it was called. I forget now. Um, but uh yeah i mean it's a good list a lot of a lot of variation here a lot of things for families as well obviously i know my friend peppa pig gets a uh has been spreading across social media um you know people like that uh funny enough the only one i've played out of this list which will interest like all of two people is match point tennis only because i grew up playing top spin and virtual tennis and all those classic tennis titles so i was checking out match point tennis the other day um but yeah man i game pass just continues to kind of broaden their offering every month over month, and I think that's kind of amazing, really. Yeah, I think what's really interesting about this selection of games, again, I've talked about this before, but we see a lot of people say, look at the list like this and say, uh-uh, Paw Patrol, Peppa Pig, that's dumb, I don't want that. And again, what Xbox Game Pass is trying to do is they're trying to have something for everyone. So this list here is very family-oriented. Um, I, speaking of Kotaku, which you touched on, they had a funny article this week that was basically like <laughs> Xbox Game Pass is trying to turn you into a dad or something, something to that effect. <laughs> talking about Power Wash Simulator. And what I think is more interesting is Xbox Game Pass with months like this are really leaning into the family. They're really like leaning into the value proposition of this family service. So you have Power Wash Simulator, something for the dad. Then you have my friend Peppa Pig, something for the kids. <laughs> Paw Patrol. So you have this spread. So even though everything isn't for me, I'm not going to rush out and download all of these on day one. I thought it was a really interesting spread and really touches on a lot of genres, which I'm happy to see that. And I hope we continue to see that. And then, you know, once Xbox starts delivering that their their big first party games, there'll be that headliner each month. In addition to all of these other yeah. cool little um, other titles. Yeah, I think that's what we're waiting for, right? Is we're waiting to that point to get to that point where Xbox first party studios is producing games. Like you said, a big game kind of every quarter type thing. So you've got the headliner along with all these kind of third-party deals, indie deals, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I'm excited when we get to that point. But I think they're doing a really good job of kind of filling that gap even prior to that point, right? They they continue to find a way to deliver a good kind of breadth of games month over month, which is cool. Exactly, yeah. And it's nice to have these bi-monthly beats where we have the first yeah. half. And you get a slice of games for the first half. So, you know, I'm going to be playing all of these titles in the next two weeks. And then mid-month, you get another little drop as well. And I think that's really exciting. And, and if you're subscribed to Game Pass, um, even though we're not getting the, the first party bangers per se, there is still something to look forward to and, and hopefully keep people engaged and subscribe to the service. Because ultimately, that is Microsoft's goal with, with Xbox Game Pass. And some other news in, in regards to Xbox and its subscription services. Games with Gold is it's losing a feature. And I've seen some oh. takes kind of all over the place when it comes to this. But Xbox has announced that starting in October, Xbox 360 games will no longer be part of Games with Gold. But the reasons that they've cited for this are basically that they have put all the titles in the service that they can. <laughs> Um, we didn't get a ton of details. It's safe to say it probably has to do with licensing. Um, mm -hmm. But they have added pretty much all of the 360 games that they can. And October 1st, there will be no more Xbox 360 games in this service. Games with Gold has not gotten any good publicity <laughs> in the last two years. <laughs> yeah. um, 
there's been a lot of debates. They tried to jack up the price. People were enraged. People were already mad about the selection of games that are included with Games with Gold. A lot of people were saying that, you know, Xbox Game Pass gets all of the big noteworthy titles in Games with Gold, while a cool addition isn't a huge value proposition for a lot of folks. So how does this news hit you? The fact that 360 games are going away, does this matter that much to you in the grand scheme of things? No, no, it didn't hit me at all. Like I read it and I was like, oh, makes sense. And I moved on with my day. Like I, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, uh, I don't know why this got so much publicity. Um, I mean, I think it's, it's always been cool that they've continued to offer Xbox 360 games, right? And mm -hmm. we, we've talked many times about how Xbox... Um, has handled backwards compatibility and supported their back catalog, which is amazing. Um, but in terms of, you know, you said it, the Xbox Live Gold offering has been kind of a running joke for a while now. It's not Xbox's focus, seemingly. Game Pass is, is where everything is, right? Um, so the fact that they're suddenly announcing that they're going to not uh, give Xbox 360 games, which in theory ended about, what, 2014? 2015? You know, to stop being produced mm -hmm. uh, almost a decade ago doesn't... I, I don't know why anyone would make a big deal out of that. I'm I'm kind of confused by it, to be honest with you. Like, this wasn't surprising to me, even a little bit. Am I yeah. weird? Or? It's one of those <laughs> things where I think it's just compounding for people who already have criticisms of the service. Um, Could be, yeah. The assumption here is that we will get more Xbox One games, so I don't think they're trying to reduce the number of titles, per se, that you get in any given month. Um, but one point of distinction that I'll that I'll mention here for the legacy players, the people who have been around for a hot minute with Xbox Gold, is that the Xbox 360 titles you own forever. So you don't have to have a subscription to go back and access those titles. Once you uh. claim those, you own them forever. Whereas Xbox One games, you can only access while you're subscribed to the service. Again, that's an interesting point of distinction. I don't think it's a huge deal in the grand scheme of things because if you're playing on Xbox, they force you to pay for gold if you want to play online. So uh, chances are, if you're on that ecosystem, you'll have it anyway. But we got to talk about some other points with gold because, yeah. again, a lot of people have their criticisms, and I think a lot of the criticisms of games with gold are fair. I've said this before, but I feel like when we look at the current state of Microsoft, when we look at the future of Xbox, Games with Gold feels dated. They're forward-thinking in every other aspect except Games with Gold, and I think that's really strange, and I understand they're making revenue, and I understand that a company wants to make money, and as much as they go on social media and pretend that they're our buddies, they're not going to just give us free stuff because <laughs> we, we complain. That's just not the reality of the world. But that being said, two big questions. First, will Xbox Gold be going away? It needs to. I, I think it needs to. I mean, we, I know all of us have talked about this almost ad nauseum, right? But, like, we just said it, right? Game Pass is the future. Game Pass is their focus. Game Pass is literally built into their revenue stream and, and forecasting, right? Uh, for good reason, of course. Um, and I just, you, you kind of have these two fundamentally different offerings to your customers that you just said come from different time periods, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And it just, they need to move away from this antiquated offering over here and put 100% of their eggs instead of 99 of their eggs, right, into the Game Pass basket. Um, how they do that, I you know, we've heard before that it's more complicated than simply turning it off and moving people to Game Pass. You know, Xbox has lightly commented on that. I don't claim to know what those nuance or uh, the context there is, but yeah, I think in my opinion, it, it's time. 
they need to just have one offering, you know, do Game Pass, do make maybe a more clear distinction between kind of Game Pass Lite and Game Pass Ultimate. I don't know, but um, yeah, gold, gold itself uh, needs, to, needs to be sunsetted. Yes, and you bring up an interesting point, which ties into my second question here is, you know, how the team could manage to successfully sun sunset this program in a way that people don't lose all of their titles, which I think is the big concern, the big question mark. And I've been I've been thinking about this a lot because I've been very vocal about the, the weird point of contention in Xbox's current plan with gold, where if you go on PC, you, you go anywhere else, Xbox gold really isn't a thing. And you get all the same benefits, you get all the same features, you get access to all the same games, but there's not that weird paywall. So gold is this weird barrier for the console audience, which does not align with their consumer first model it, ju it right. just doesn't it's at they're at this weird impasse where they're like you said trying to figure out how that works so i've been thinking about it i've been really racking my brain about how this could work and here's what i've come up with in terms of you know how to sunset the program and how to grandfather everyone in in a way that i think will make everyone happy so first you, you, you get rid of gold you announce that's going away multiplayer is free whether you're paying or not in terms of the if you have the Xbox 360 games, as I touched on, those are all there. If you have claimed those, you own those forever. Those are all there. When it comes to Xbox One, I think a good compromise here would be if you subscribe to Xbox Game Pass at the base level, that library of titles that is grandfathered in. Any game you have claimed with Games with Gold, if you are a paying Game Pass subscriber, that will carry over. And then they could lean into Xbox Game Pass Ultimate perks to continue to add new free games because these things are already bundled together as it is so instead of making games with gold this this service lean into xbox game pass ultimate perks to really sell people on the benefits there because we've seen cool dlc we've seen subscriptions but i think it would be easy e again i say this without knowing all of the full context <laughs> it sounds like it would be easy just to add additional games to the game pass ultimate perks as well but that's kind of my solution i don't know if that again I'm probably oversimplifying things in a lot of ways, but I think that would be a, a happy medium that we could finally sunset Xbox Gold and look towards the future of Xbox's platform. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I like it. And I think we're kind of saying similar things, right? You got to lean into Game Pass. Game Pass is your offering first and foremost, and that's your only offering, right? And then you, you separate Game Pass into two distinct kind of models or, or two mm -hmm. distinct offerings, I guess. Uh, like I said, it doesn't matter what you name it, Light and Ultimate or what have you um or basic you know um but yeah i think uh the only the only thing i think that would be interesting is if they offer so you were mentioning kind of broadening the perk system and i think they can do a lot more with the perks like you said um if they start to divide that into unique games um then you start to talk about okay uh do those stay you get all you get into all those weird little nuances again like say you're ultimate for six months you claim 10 games and then you go back to basic right do you lose access to all those games um, they start to have to figure all that out. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know exactly how they work that out, but I think <clears throat> what we're both saying is kind of where I think most of the community is, at least that I've heard from, which is get rid of gold, focus on Game Pass if you have to split that into two offerings, which they already do. It's just not really well known, right? You can get Game Pass $10 a month right now, which is not ultimate. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, you know, you just need to kind of make that more public and give a little separation there. Um, and I think you're good to go. I don't know why you you touched on, but I don't know why you still need gold to play free to play games online or some of them, you know, like there you still have this weird paywall sitting out there um, that just seems so kind of ancient.
Um, yeah, in today's we know model. like Fortnite, you can play that for free. And again, yep. there's all of these weird segmented things where yeah. you can play Fortnite for free, and then you know, cloud gaming you have to pay for. Unless it's Fortnite, you can play Fortnite for free on cloud. <laughs> there's all of these weird instances of exceptions to their rules. And yeah. it, it, that makes that drives me bananas because I look at it and say, you can do this. You definitely can. So you're just not. You're just yeah. not doing it. And I understand, again, they don't want to just give a bunch of people free stuff. They're making a bunch of money on gold. They want to continue to make money on gold until they have something to supplement that revenue. From a yep. business perspective, I understand. From an optics perspective, and there's a lot of inconsistencies in the the equation right now that... I hope they address in the nearest future. I, I do think there is, you know, gold is not going to be around forever. But I think, like you said, they're, it's probably incredibly complicated. A, a lot of incredibly boring legal and technical <laughs> things that yep. they have to figure out. And um, I guess in the interim, we just have to wait, wait around and see what happens. Yeah, 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 that's exactly it. Um, usually, you know, I know we, a lot of people say it all the time, but these things that seem so simple on the surface are usually a lot more complicated than people realize. Um, and, and there's no doubt, I'm sure all kinds of legal, like you said, paperwork and licensing and, and, uh, what do they call it? Um, basically, you know, the, the credit that a, a user, like your user account has on Xbox live and how those games are tied together. And you're talking about tens of millions of people over, 20 years you know um there's there's probably a lot that has to go through there yes and again a lot of us with backwards compatibility when they basically came out and said we're not going to be adding more titles to backwards compatibility again there, a lot of us look at all the possibilities look at all the potential but at the end of the day it always comes down to licensing in some degree and licensing is is the devil and when it comes to you know, backwards compatibility when it comes to keeping things around. Soundtracks in particular, that is the primary reason a lot of games go by the wayside, can't be sold anymore. Um, and so, yeah, it's always, like you said, more complicated than we make it out to be. But we all want the simple solution. We all want the simple answer. But you know, unfortunately, we don't always get it. I'm going to give a quick shout out to all the amazing people joining us live. If you are tuning in on YouTube.com slash Windows Central Gaming, hit that like button, share it out. We got a lot more to dive into. If you're listening on audio versions and you're digging the show, be sure to leave us a review as well. Uh, we got a super chat from Nick W who says, hi guys, I'm thinking about getting the quarry with my next paycheck. Is it worth getting? Ains, have you played the quarry? I have, I've played the whole game and uh, I'm funny enough, I, I was playing it a second time um, because I was I was reviewing it, but then the review got delayed. I won't go into the story, so I haven't even put my article up on on Season Gaming yet. But um, yeah, it's good. I like it a lot. If you like the super massive games, you know I know everyone always references Until Dawn, but if you like their Dark Pictures anthology as well, uh, it's very similar in those, except for the setting here is more like um, it's kind of like an '80s film. You know, you've mm -hmm. got your teenagers at the lake and the camp. And your camp counselors, and uh, I really enjoyed it. I played through them with my wife, where we kind of passed the controller back and forth. And uh, yeah, I thought it was good, man. I thought it was one of the better entries of those type of games. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. Supermassive has a really interesting formula. The, the integration between horror video games and choose-your-own-adventure, basically movie-watching experience. Um, I loved it. Um, I've, I've been a big fan of Supermassive's formula. I thought Dark Pictures, some of their titles didn't hit the same highs as something like Until Dawn, but yeah. The Quarry is kind of their big spiritual successor. And like you said, it goes back mm -hmm. to what I want, what I love, the campy horror. 
the yeah. the literal taking place at a camp, the fact that it's a little cheesier, it touches on some interesting tropes, plays with some interesting tropes in horror. Um, so if you're a fan um, of horror, definitely check it out. This is a love letter to horror fans. It's got Ted Raimi in it. It's got Lynn Shea. Say. It's got yeah. Lance Henriksen. It's got all of these nods and Easter eggs. There's I won't spoil any scenes, but there is a, a chainsaw in this game. And during a, a big moment, they zoom in on the the blade of this chainsaw and it says Groovy Tool Company. So like <laughs> there are so many amazing nods to other horror genres. I reviewed it for Windows Central. I gave it a, a 4.5 out of 5. So I absolutely loved it. Um, again, won't spoil anything. We can talk about the ending later. There's I think the ending is the most divisive thing about this experience compared to Until Dawn. Some people say Until Dawn has a better ending. I think the overall production value, the overall build with the characters is better in the quarry it, than Until Dawn. Yeah. Um, but I do agree that maybe the resolution isn't quite as as juicy as some people would want it to be. That being said, loved it. I've I've played through it a couple times. They just added the online multiplayer mode. So I have a, a squad of friends getting ready to play through it uh, a third time as well. So nice. yeah, it's about eight hours. Just keep that yeah. in mind. And if you're buying it on Series X, it's 70 bucks. So, you know, yeah. might not be worth it for everyone, but for me, totally, totally worth it. No question. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, I One thing on Intel Dawn too, I know that people, that has always been the game people referred to since, you know, last several years now. Uh, I went back and played that pretty recently and it's still fun. It's still cool. I still enjoy it, but it's not like, I think the quarry to your point is a better all overall produced game. Like I think people still think there's a little nostalgic factor for Intel Dawn that I think makes it look or sound better than it actually kind of is in today's world. I, yeah, I went back before I played the quarry as well to check out Until Dawn. And yeah, it's a lot jankier. It's a yes. lot jankier and a lot uglier than I remember it. <laughs> yes. Because I remember yes. being really impressed by the visuals when that first came out and really impressed by the animations. And then there's a stark contrast between that and the quarry. So they've that team has really come a long way with with their engine, with their their tools. So yeah, there yeah. are sequences where you're where you're just staring at these characters and it's like that uncanny valley where it's it's almost we're, we're again we're getting closer and closer to that photorealistic experience it's really impressive like you can like see the pores on their skin mm -hmm. like it's really like yeah that's very highly detailed it's good um <clears throat> dino xow asks what's the game on the screen i want to talk about this a bit ains because this game has yep. released to zero fanfare zero yeah uh this game is arcadegeddon from Ilphonic, uh, the creators of Hunter Pred Predator Hunting Grounds and Friday the 13th and a few others. Yep. So this is their take on a roguelike. So if you've played Risk of Rain, if you've played Gunfire Reborn, if you've played uh, Dead Cells, it's it's that loop in a third-person shooter format, very, pulling a lot of stylistic inspiration from Fortnite. So you have your drip, you got your emotes, you can customize your character. But that being said... I'm a little disappointed that pretty much no one online is talking about this game because the core gameplay loop and the feel of this game is so good and it, it's so fun. Um, I love Risk of Rain 2 for context. Anyone, anyone who knows me knows I, lo I love a good roguelike. So that, that foundation is there and it's built on with over-the-top power-ups, all these great abilities, Sunset Overdrive-inspired weapons, a lot of wacky, quirky, off-the-wall weapons as well. Um, you can play with four players. Um, it's got some weird Fall Guys minigame modes as well. But have you yeah. checked this out at all? 
I haven't. I did the same thing that um, uh, <clears throat> Dino was asking in the chat. Is like a couple weeks ago, I started to see this, and I was like, "What is this?" You know, like I had no idea because you said it, it's kind of got that Fortnite look at first glance, um, but very clearly, it's an entirely different game. So I have not checked it out yet. I'm reviewing something else. I just haven't had time to play it, but I want to. It looks great. It keeps distracting me. Like I'm looking over, watching it because it looks really, really cool. Yeah, it's. Um, it's one of those things where I remember when it was revealed. I distinctly remember when Ilphonic revealed this game and it was a CG trailer. Again, it tapped into that Fortnite energy, the, the hello, how do you do fellow kids music. Um, and I remember watching that reveal trailer and going, this isn't for me. This, I, don't, I don't know what this is. I'm not sure that I want to know what this is. And then I didn't hear anything. It's been in early access for about a year, um, okay. but, but then it launched this past week to zero fanfare. It's in PlayStation yeah. Plus. And I haven't seen anyone posting about this online. Um, and so it's just, it just kind of came out of nowhere. It was uh, originally thought to be a PlayStation exclusive at one point. Um, but it just kind of came out. And no one's been talking about it. I have a few friends that have, we've been playing together, having a lot of fun. But um, Is there co-op? There is, yeah. Yeah, okay. so the main experience is PvE. PvE with co-op. Sure. You can play okay. it solo definitely and there are some weird quirky pvp modes but the core experience is that risk of rain loop where you get yeah. deeper and deeper and you you tr you try to get to i think 50 is the highest difficulty i've made it to i think difficulty 25 and things get really chaotic really really wild but it's interesting and if you like rogue likes i would recommend checking it out um it's about 30 bucks. I've put in 20 hours so far and I've seen most of the content. Like I said, I still have 25 other difficulties to get to and maybe there's some wild stuff, but I've seen all the bosses. I've seen everything there. But um, yeah, Arcade Ageddon, definitely worth checking out if you're a fan cool. of roguelikes. And I'm uh, a little bummed that it's <laughs> been a very quiet release. Which is a shame because Ilphonic, like, I feel like that's a talented smaller studio that just hasn't found their niche yet or hit yet because friday the 13th had this kind of cult community that loved that game despite all yes. the jank despite the issues right that even after they stopped supporting it people kept playing that game right um and then they tried to shift over to a big ip with predator hunting grounds and that fell kind of flat you know it just really didn't do much at all and now it looks like they've created kind of their own take like you said on this this roguelike co-op you know, kind of take some inspiration from other titles, which looks amazing. And from what you're telling me, it plays really well. Um, but like you said, man, I haven't anecdotally anyway, I haven't seen anyone talking about this game at all. So I hope uh, I hope they find their find their groove at some point here. I know. And they have Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed, I think. Is yeah. Potentially yeah. coming out later this year as well, which is going to be an asymmetrical multiplayer take on Ghostbusters. And I'm curious to see how that lands. But yeah, to your point, they haven't had that big blowout hit i think friday the 13th is kind of the closest they've gotten there and that again just the, the a care and attention to detail made a lot of people like myself overlook the jank overlook the fact yes. that you'd be driving a car and you would just fall through the earth and you would be out of the match <laughs> like some f objectively game-breaking bugs we are willing to overlook because of just <laughs> what the experience was and how great it was when it worked so yeah i just wanted to touch on this real quick because even Googling it, even like trying to like look up tips on internet forums and stuff. Uh, there's no one's talking about it. No, and no one. And it's again, it came out of nowhere. 
I literally was shocked to see it in the Xbox store. I had completely forgotten it was even a thing. Saw it listed, I was like, oh yeah, isn't this that Fortnite ripoff from Ilphonic? <laughs> and then I like see it, I'm like, oh, this is a co-op roguelike. Why didn't they stress that in the reveal trailer? But Yeah. And that's a popular, like, you know what I mean? It's a popular kind of genre right now. The the it feels like this could be getting a lot more attention. Mm -hmm. Who's it published by? Do you know? Uh, not off the top of my head. Not yeah, off the top of just, my head. Yeah, usually that kind of falls to the publisher, which would make me think it's a small publisher. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to try it, though. I'm downloading it right after the show. There we go. Hit me up if you want to get some co-op in, because, you know, I'm right. a seasoned vet now. Um, <laughs> all right, Ains. We got to talk about probably the biggest piece of news so far this week, or biggest oh. piece of news this week, and that's E3's big comeback plans. There's been yep. a lot of uncertainty regarding E3 and its future. We even had our, our pal Jeff Grubb, who made the infamous <laughs> shirt where he's <laughs> doing the meme peace sign over the, over the grave of E3. With... I saw someone, did you, did you see someone did a meme back to him this week on Twitter where like he was dead and E3 was yeah. like over his <laughs> Uh, so yes, E3 has announced that it is coming back for 2023. When when it took 2022 off, people were a lot of people were speculating that maybe that was it. Maybe they didn't have what it takes. They couldn't figure out how to bring it back in a, in a modern landscape. But they have announced a new partner in ReadPop, and you might know ReadPop from their wildly popular gaming event, PAX. So basically, the, one of the companies responsible for PAX is partnering with the ESA and E3 to bring back E3 in 2023. And they have talked about how they are going to be changing things, reinventing the experience, and trying to push E3 to a new audience. So first and foremost, Danes, what do you want to see from E3 moving forward? With this big comeback, what are, what are your hopes and dreams? Yeah, so... The big thing for E3 is they, I don't have to go into the, the, the background here that we've all loved E3 since we were kids and watched it. It was always a spectacle, but mm -hmm. E3 was a trade show, as we all know, right? It was kind of the industry only and publishers and devs and, and media all getting together, you know, once a year. As they moved into, uh, as we know, the last several years, they, they opened it to the public. It became this kind of weird mix of show. It became overly crowded. And they didn't really kind of make that shift to the public well, right? No. And then obviously the pandemic hits and, and we know the, the rest of the story. So what I really like to see here is is really be more similar to PAX. And I think that's why ReadPop is the, uh, the, the best choice they could have come up with that I think we know for how they move forward. Because it does need to be community involvement, right? And public involvement. Um, but we were kind of chatting about this before we went live, right? Is that they need to also be better at supporting media and, and any of the companies that kind of want to organize through E3 still. So I think in my ideal situation, you do turn this into a fan show. You do a three-day event or, you know, a Friday through Sunday, or you do like they used to do, which used to be a Tuesday through Thursday, if you didn't know that, the actual, like, normal event um, of E3. But whatever you do, you do like a three-day event for fans. But... Prior to that, you do a day or two, I would say two, personally, where it's just media, right? Where, where you have the same setup, you have the same LA Convention Center halls, and all of that is set up, but you basically have the developers and the publishers and the big companies that support it uh, be there to where you can cover games, right? You can get footage, you can get interviews, you can do all of that stuff 
in kind of a free space because another thing people don't realize is there's more media out there than you realize. Like even on the media days, it still got pretty busy in the LA convention hall. There's a lot of people and there's only so much time for interviews and, you know, taking videos and production, uh, uh, storytelling and all that. Um, <clears throat> so I think have a couple days for media and then have a dedicated fan show time where everything is set up to better accommodate the fans. And what I mean by that is way more boosts to play games, right? Way more spaced out, just better support to support the, the 10,000, 15, 20,000, however many people you allow in. Because as it was set up previously, you would have boosts like Ubisoft or, you know, Square Enix or these big boosts, and they'd have like eight stations to play a big AAA game, right? And people would wait two and three and four hours play a game for 10 minutes and it's like that's not supportive of your fans i mean if you you go in there realistically you're either not going to play any games or you're going to play like two or three big ones that is uh they just need to do that better so i think um you know i'll stop there and let you give your thoughts because i know we're going to talk about other aspects of this too so yeah as you touched on for for a while e3 for a lot of players and people invest in the community it was the christmas of gaming you know everyone got together they you yeah. know put their best foot forward and they really used this opportunity to you know friendly have friendly competition in the space and show the world what they're working on all at the same time and that was exciting undeniably that was really really exciting and as we move past the pandemic um or as we're living in the midst of whatever comes after People have figured out in, in a lot of ways that maybe they don't have to do that anymore. And even though we have Summer Game Fest, which people, you know, have their criticisms of it, a lot of the big players still, you know, show up, bring something to the table. But still, even with that, we're seeing companies like EA, we're seeing companies like Ubisoft just do their own thing. Just, just have these presences online. So E3 is going to have an uphill battle getting these people back on board with this and, and fighting for that justification to have this big event. I have faith with Reed Poppy involved that it will be fun for the average uh, person, the average gamer who wants to go. Like you said, I went to E3 the first year it was public and it was kind of miserable. It was way oversold. The lines were unbelievably bad. You were waiting hours to do anything. You were waiting yeah. hours to get in. It was not a good experience. It was just not. Like I understand they're trying to get as many people as possible involved at the convention center to share in these games and check out these games. But as you said, you could be there for 10, 12 hours and you're playing two or three things. And it was not, not a great experience. So they're going to have to balance that. I've been to PAX. One of my favorite memories of all time is going to PAX with a group of friends. And this was around a rock band. And they had a giant, massive stage set up with, with risers. And there was this crowd of hundreds of people. And you could go and you could queue up and get on stage and play rock band. So <laughs> nice. we got to go up on stage and play Master Exploder by Tenacious D in front of hundreds of people. And it was just so good, so hilarious. That's kind of the energy that I want from the community-driven segment of it. But I do agree that I hope... They lean into the press aspect of it because for the people invested in the industry, a lot of what's exciting about this is like seeing what's new for games, hearing what's new for technology and having those kind of conversations. So I do hope there would be a segment still where it is, you know, media focused or at least news focused where there's conferences that detail that and then open it up to the public, open it up for a few days and let people get their hands on what was shown and what was talked about. And I think if they can balance that right, if they can balance the crowds, um, 
and and don't make this just like a terrible Disneyland type experience for gamers where <laughs> we have fast passes. Oh, you don't want to wait in the two hour lines? Well, guess yeah. what? You can buy a fast pass, which quite frankly, I'm ex- honestly expecting that really as this becomes mm. more of like a brand and more of a community centric thing. And, you know, it's still going to be exciting, but I think the biggest hurdle they're going to have is getting everyone back on board. And that ties yeah. into my next question for you here. Do you think it's possible for E3 to ever return to its former glory? I don't see it. I don't see it. I want to see it, but I don't see it. Um, the interesting thing here is, I, did you see this? So not like 20 minutes after E3 announced this thing, right? And Jeff Keighley comes out and says, as we said in June, Summer uh-huh. Game Fest. But he also mentioned an in-person event for Summer yes. Game Fest. And maybe I forgot, maybe I, I don't know, but I, I don't recall hearing him say before that there was going to be an in-person event. So we don't know what all of this looks like yet, but what it's sounding like is we're going to have two in-person gigantic events in June for the gaming community, which doesn't add up, right? Like that doesn't, because if you think about what E3 used to be, E3 used to be the, as you said, it used to be the one time a year, right, going years back, where every company came together, mm-hmm. and that was the focus. And you had the Xbox conference, the PlayStation conference, Ubisoft, Bethesda, you know, Square Enix, all these things. <clears throat> PlayStation does its own thing now. Yep. EA does its own thing now. Yep. Uh, so even if you bring back Xbox, who really has been a big supporter because they have their own damn theater right next to the convention center. So they <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. They kind of join E3, but not really. They kind of do their own thing. Um, but the, the weird thing is, right, is like if we're going to have Summer Game Fest and E3 within the same month or within the same several week period in the summer, how do each of those align with all the major publishers and developers, right, to show off their products and, and do that kind of conference and bring that back? And I just, I don't see how that's ever going to have the same impact as it once did in a focused, centralized place. Now, I think that, I would think that if you do this well, both shows could be good. They could both be meaningful. You know, the companies could show up for fans and you could show up and play your games and talk to people and do all that. But former glory is a tough thing. And I just don't think, I think the market has moved past the point where E3 is ever going to be what it once was. Um, That said, I do want to just caveat that slightly by again anecdotally if you look at the excitement of e3 coming back next year like i've already talked to countless people who are excited about going to e3 Mm -hmm. next year e3's name still holds weight right because so many of us grew up with this just you know fascination with e3 and the the want to say that you went to an e3 is still there like i've already talked to people in england that are going to come over next year to go to E3, you know, and that's that's not a cheap or short trip. No. Um, oh, definitely so not. I, yeah, so I do think if, if they set this up well, they make it a really positive fan event, and they do everything we've kind of said, I do think that they're going to have a big audience that wants to still go to E3. But we really need to see what that looks like. And, and like I said, even more interesting to me, we really need to see what Summer Game Fest looks like as an in-person event, because that's a new thing. And I want to see how Keeley and the ESA and everyone else involved kind of mix and match what's going to be shown where. Yeah, they're about to be stepping in the Thunderdome because, I mean, you know, <laughs> Keeley's been kind of less than subtly dunking on E3 the uh-huh. last few years, Big the time. Summer Game Fest. And you've had critics say, well, you're you're not on the same level, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it will be interesting to see, you know, 
next year when both of these, you know, now that Summer Game Fest has had a few years and now that Summer Game Fest, whether you, you know, like it as much as E3 or not, it's clearly getting a lot of attention. If you look at the raw metrics for the number of people watching it, yeah. it's, it's undeniably impressive. And so I will be really curious to see how they stack up. Um, yeah, like you touch on returning to former glory, it's tough. You know, I'll, I'll use a band analogy. We all have our favorite bands and they have that, that album that sold us on why they are an important band, why we love them so much. And every single time they put out a new album, we, we check it out because we want, we want that experience. We want that, that moment. We want them to come back and, and do it again. Do the impossible and, and just make us fall in love with something. And I think that's the reason a lot of people, like you said, hold on to E3. Want E3 to come back. Want E3 to be great again. Because we have a lot of fond memories of what it was, what it once represented. And with Reed Pop involved, I imagine it will be at least fun. Like, I, I have no doubt that it will be fun for the audience, and that'll be a big deal. But whether it'll be this this moment in, in time where everyone comes together to show off what they're working on, I just personally think we've moved past that. Because you, you touched on it as well, PlayStation, EA, Ubisoft. A lot of the biggest, pub, Blizzard, BlizzCon, QuakeCon, yeah. a lot of the biggest publishers don't care about that moment anymore. They don't need it. They can just do their own event, have their own conference, and people will still tune in and get excited. So it's tough. It's a tough balancing act, but I am really curious and interested to see if if it comes, or I mean, it will be coming back, but what that comeback will look like. And yeah. will it make a splash? Um, but again, we'll just have to wait and see what the hell that looks like. And I, I really hope it at least gets back some of what makes E3 great. And like yeah, you said, I, I think Xbox will be involved. I, they, they clearly like that, but Xbox has also been leaning heavily into Jeff Keighley's events as well. So are we going to see Xbox segmented? Are we going to have, you know, some stuff at E3, some yeah. stuff at Summer Game Fest, some stuff at the Game Award? Like, <laughs> what does this all what, look like? And where does where does Summer Games Fest in-person event take place? I'm really curious about that because the LA Convention Center has been the home of E3 for an incredibly long time, right? And like I said, if, if you're listening to this and you haven't been there, it is quite literally across the street from the Microsoft Theater, mm -hmm. um, where oh. Xbox sets up for not only their conference they do every summer when it's in person, of course, um, but the past couple years of E3 before COVID, they allowed you to basically come in as fans and you they had game stations set up there and the Xbox merch and all kinds of stuff where you could walk into their theater and interact with Xbox. And so they took advantage of the fact that E3 was right over here and there was 10,000 fans, right? And there were even signs in the LA Convention Center saying, hey, come check out Xbox, we're across the street. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? So if I think that Xbox lights likes to take advantage of E3 because E3 basically brings the audience to them and then they can use their own space to to set up and you know interact with fans which is awesome um but depending on where Summer Game Fest is when it is and where it is that could be really interesting to see that dynamic as well yeah I, I want to piggyback off some comments in the chat here about um Jeff Keighley Summer Game Fest and the ads the number of ads that are run mm -hmm. on there um so do you think with an in-person event, like a bigger focused in-person event, that that could potentially alleviate the need to run ads during the show? You would hope, right? Boy, the guy, you know, he's running ads, I get it. But also he's got to pay for the event. He's got to pay staff, blah, blah, blah. Um, let me tell you, 
you haven't seen ads until you've been to PAX or you've been to E3 in person. You think Jeff Keighley's ads are bad during the show? Oh my God, that the convention center is an ad. Whether you yeah. want to accept it or not, it is a giant ad. You're just getting blasted with swag, blasted with billboards. And again, you, you can pretend like it's not an ad, but oh, it's absolutely an ad. So yeah. I would be curious to see, because I agree, stuff like The Rock coming out during Summer Game Fest and... Uh, <laughs> uh, and just have, you, have you seen doing, his gym lately, Miles? <laughs> the Iron Paradise? Bro, bro, I'm familiar with the Iron Paradise. I'm crushing Zoe on the daily. I got my Terra Mana on deck, dude. I'm ready. I'm living that rock lifestyle. You know, I'm mixing Zoe and Terra Mana together to create iconic rock tales. I'm ready, dude. I'm, I'm all about it. <laughs> so I do think, yes, I don't like ham-fisted ads. I really don't. But I would hope that maybe with that in-person event that Jeff Keighley could slam all of the ads in there and then the actual broadcasted showcase maybe would have less of the, the sweaty rock talking about Black Adam. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I hope so. I Like you said, um, at E3, you, are, you, you can't get away from it, right? And even no, if you're just there as no. a fan, you are handed stuff and bags of stuff at ads and, and flyers. I mean, you are just given stuff nonstop. Most of it you don't want. Um, <laughs> but it, it is, that, that's exactly where the ESA at the time made their money, right? And, and exactly. through all the, obviously, the big companies coming in and setting up, et cetera. So, yeah, I think it's clear to me if I'm thinking from a business perspective, and I don't claim to know all the business perspectives behind, uh, you know, what Keeley does, but it, it, it seemed pretty clear that he's built summer game fest and the video game awards into their own brands. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's had the, he's had the pandemic to do this virtually and he's done it better, arguably, even if you like it or not, he's certainly done it better than E3 has done over the past few years. Cause they were just, when they tried to do their digital thing, it was a mess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and nobody just, was excited about that. No, it just didn't work at all. So, the big question for me is just going to be is going to see can he transition that to continue kind of the brand growth with Summer Game Fest and make that an in-person event that's kind of meaningful uh that people still care about and how does he separate the people who can attend in person and the digital event and what does that look like and i think that E3 has to answer that same question and it you know the nice thing here right for us we get the benefit from all of it right so Whoever, whatever shows the best, whatever in-person event is the best, whatever we like more, there's going to be a lot to choose from seemingly in the future. And I just hope that some combination of this, whether it's E3 by itself, Summer Game Fest by itself, a combination of, of all the events that we get to replicate that experience that we used to feel with E3 in the summer. Because what I will say, and I don't think I'm alone in this, is the past couple of years have not done that. They have not given me the excitement that we used to get from E3 and they haven't recreated that experience. So I'm really hopeful that we do get that in the future. It will be really interesting to see with both of these competitors jumping in together for the, because Jeff Keighley's seen a lot of growth, but he also hasn't had huge competition because E3 has been either not doing anything or not doing anything notable. Um, so I'm really curious to see if they're both going to come out of the gate swinging. And as you touched on, if that is the case, then it should be, for us, people who care about gaming, exciting either way. No yeah. matter who has the quote-unquote better show, if both of them are trying to compete against each other, which you know they are. Je 
I love Jeff because he's got this little, he's got this chip on his shoulder <laughs> regarding E3 and the way that they handle the industry. And he has just made it his life's mission to like overthrow yes. them. And it's, you know, whether you like them or not, it's exciting. It's interesting because, again, we always talk about competition, breeding innovation, pushing people to do better. And that's kind of what Jeff's been trying to do. So I'm very excited to see what next year looks like. And like you said, June's going to be. Again, maybe like it once was in terms of being just stupidly packed with game announcements. Because now yeah. they got to fill two events, two shows. Yeah. Yeah. And you know they're going to compete for those big world premieres. You know what I mean? Like that, that's what draws the people in. There's a reason why the <laughs> Video Game Awards has basically become a premiere show, right? Because that's what people are watching for. Whether you like that or not, whether you agree with it or not, it's simply the fact of the matter. So, and that's why people tuned in E3. You got to see all these kind of big giant announcements that were coming over the next few years in the gaming industry. And it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, how Keeley and how Reed Pop or ESA or whoever kind of has the final say uh, at E3 kind of decides that. And whether or not the big companies like Xbox, like, um, you know, PlayStation, all these other companies, right, want to give away their announcements or whether they'll continue to go down the path of doing them themselves. So it's just, it's a completely different industry now than it was even just a few years ago. And uh, man, it's going to be fun to watch unfold though, I'll say that. Exactly, yeah, keeping us on our toes. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our next topic, which is a re-reveal of a game that was originally debuted way back in 2017. And that's yeah. Ubisoft's pirate open world game, Skull and Bones. I distinctly remember when Skull and Bones was revealed because, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Sea of Thieves. I'm a big fan of pirate video games in general. And I remember seeing this trailer, seeing it focus on ship combat and going, I don't know that I want that. I'm not sure that I'm sold on this vision. And I think a lot of people shared similar criticisms because after that initial reveal, that game went dark for a long time. They basically addressed that people had criticisms of what was shown, and then they were silent until now, until <laughs> until this past yeah. week. So we got we want basically five years of silence regarding Skull and Bones, and then they had their big re-reveal this week. And I'm curious to know where you stand on it. They have confirmed that this will be releasing November 8th, so it's coming later this year, very very soon. Um, how are you feeling about what we saw this week of Skull and Bones? Yeah, so funny story and a good segue from E3, right? I played Skull and Bones at E3 2018. Uh, I have footage of it and pictures of it from there at the Ubisoft booth at 2018. And then, as you said, it just disappeared. You know, like it was clear that I think if you remember, there was a time I want to say maybe it was late 2019, early 2020, where Eve's kind of made a, a simple statement from one of their kind of executive briefing calls that too many of their upcoming titles were too similar. Do you remember this? And Ubisoft yes. said, we need yep. to make a clear separation of our IPs. And a lot of their games went back to the drawing board. And quite frankly, as much crap as Ubisoft gets from some people, I got to give them credit there, right? Yeah. Um, because we, we do talk about that all the time. The games are Ubisofty, and they have similar kind of UIs and menu and map mechanics and open world mechanics. So if they've kind of separated this into more of a unique experience, then good for them. Now, what I saw this week uh, definitely was a different game. That's for sure. Yes. Uh, yeah. um, so they've obviously put a lot of time in. The one thing that really jumped out to me, I don't know about you, but was the scope of what this game is trying to be. Um, because if you think about 
you mentioned Sea of Thieves, and Sea of Thieves continues to have a very passionate audience, right? And and continues to just grow and expand, which is awesome. Um, but it's it's very kind of focused on what it's trying to be. Um, and it, it, it took aspects of a lot of things, simplified them, and said, here's what you're doing in this game. Whereas Skull and Bones looks like it's like trying to do everything. Um, like you can live the pirate life, or you can go fight on ships, or you can go salvage, and you can craft, and you can take over operations, and you can go on adventures. And all of that sounds great uh, in theory. And yes. I, say, I say that because yes. I am very, very concerned that as this game scope changed and they started to develop it out, and I, do you think it's fair to say that they looked at Sea of Thieves and, and, and thought, okay, that's a popular game over there. Obviously, mechanically, it's very different from what Ubisoft is going for. But it feels like they're trying to take some of those aspects where you can kind of go with your crew on your ship. And if you want to just go explore and, and loot and pillage, you can do that. If you want to kind of go and fight in the waters, you can do that. Um, but it's got so many seeming, um, seemingly has so many mechanics and such a broad scope. I'm worried that it's going to be the jack of all trades, master of none type game. That's exactly where I'm at, because okay. I, I will say that I watched the, the initial gameplay trailer and then I watched the extended like, I don't know, it was 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes of just the developers uh -huh. sitting down doing raw gameplay, play, gameplay, which I really appreciated because when I watched the gameplay reveal, I was like, this is all over the place. Like you said, yeah. they are trying to do it all. They're trying yeah. to do everything you have. You can be out as your pirate at the outposts. You can customize your ship weaponry. You can craft. There's the weird first person like harpoon mechanic where you're stabbing sharks to get meat. You're going up <laughs> parking next to trees in your ship and using your yeah. ship to like butt chop down trees on the side of islands. And I'm looking at all of this. Mm. I'm looking at everything. and there's a lot going on yeah, and it's going to be lot. one of those games for me where I really need to play it before I can say that I, it is a good loop because I think they are setting themselves up for being really off putting to a lot of people. I think, because if they are trying to do everything, I think the beauty of sea of thieves is the fact that anyone can pick it up and figure out what yes. to do. It's, in, yep. it's intuitive looking at skull and bones. That did not look intuitive. That looked involved. Okay. And if you want that big, immersive pirate sim i think it's leaning way more into the sim elements the mm. the stock management you have to worry about your crew because if you don't treat them well there could be a mutiny and systems like that are interesting and mm -hmm. and i will say that this showing of skull and bones was way more interesting to me than the first showing yeah, way agreed. way way more interesting i i was way happier with what they were trying to do but that being said, as I saw the extended gameplay and I saw that, oh, you don't actually get out of your ship to fight. There's like a weird cutscene, and you're, it'll show your, your crewmates boarding another ship and then it'll cut back to you in the ship. And when you're going to plunder an outpost, oh, you don't actually get out and plunder the outpost. It just shows a cutscene of your crew getting out and plundering the outpost. And then there's a, a timer while you're fighting like a horde mode. And, you know, as I'm starting to see all of that, those aren't inherently bad to me, but I just wonder, you know, what the overall loop is going to be outside yeah. of your traditional go here, gather this, go here, collect this. And again, it is different than a lot of Ubisoft games, but it still inherently had that Ubisoft feel when I looked at the HUD, when I looked at the UI, when I looked at the quest, <laughs> the challenges, all of those things that are in Ubisoft games 100% of the time were there. And I was like, okay, well, I am going to check it out, but I am leery about the scope of this game yeah me too 
Because when too. you put this on paper, when you say you can plunder, you can customize your ship, you have to worry about mutinies, you have to worry about supplies, you can harvest animals for their resources, you can completely customize all the weaponry, you can completely customize the armor of your ship. When you put all that stuff on paper, on a checklist, it sounds really good. But execution will be more important than everything else. And again, just by looking at it, I don't know how to feel quite yet. Yeah. No, I'm, we're on the exact same page. Uh, the concepts of what they're putting forth here are exciting, but what I saw didn't necessarily um, kind of give me that feeling that they're going to nail this and nail these aspects. You you cover games long enough and you play games long enough, right? And we, we've been doing this for decades now and kind of really paying close attention to the details of games are shown. And I feel that I've gotten a really good kind of internal barometer of when I look at a game reveal, I can think, okay, this is either going to be good, bad, indifferent, or I can point out things that, you know, I can kind of sense about that game. And, and as I watch this is exactly what we were both saying, which is, okay, I, their scope broadened out over the past few years. They thought they brought in kind of concepts and gameplay mechanics from a lot of their titles. It's seeming like everything Ubisoft into one big package and then throwing a pirate skin on top of it. Um, and that can work in theory. I'm not confident it's going to be uh, kind of intriguing to play on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. I am excited about like the ship combat. I do mm -hmm. like how you kind of deal with merchants and and obviously co-op with your friends that's always the best part to me of these games is just getting on a ship with buddies and going to figure out like that's what's fun about sea of thieves like i think i've played sea of thieves solo one time ever and i got bored within like 20 minutes it's just not the game for me personally whereas when i'm playing with people who know what they're doing and play a lot of sea of thieves it's fun as hell right it's yeah. just a great experience so that's kind of what i'm looking for um i i don't know we'll see how it lands personally i would have preferred like sea of thieves is a very fun game like we already said it's it's got a lot of positives going for it but it is more lighthearted, right i mean it goes without saying it's more of a kind yeah. of just fun game right whereas i would have preferred if skull and bones kind of take a similar approach in in um in mechanic approach to see if these like run your ship go check out islands loot you know do these things but make it like very mature and gritty yes. um and, and it seems like they kind of are doing that but i i don't know to your point like with the cutscenes and what you're actually playing seems disjointed and that that concerns me so because we'll i think a lot of people the people who don't like sea of thieves typically don't like it for a couple of reasons uh pvp is a big one the fact that there's always sure. pvp so with skull and bones for people people who don't know you can opt into pve servers so at yeah. least you won't have to worry about pvp for for that community another big criticism is there's no linear progression in sea of thieves a lot of the progression is tied to your cosmetics your rank and all that stuff but that doesn't affect the gameplay per se but a lot of people i think they want the witcher essentially turned into a pirate game yeah that's like, great that's, that's good that's example. what everyone wants that that is yeah. the dream experience if you took the witcher 3 yep. and made that an open world pirate game like the dark yeah. gritty high seas adventure yeah i'd be there day one now you got me excited. Yeah, so. you do that and you give me co-op. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Uh, <laughs> so it seems like Skull and Bones tried to lean into that more. They specifically talk about this being darker and grittier in this, this re-reveal. But to your point, my I guess I, I'll say my biggest complaint, and this just comes from my personal preference, the fact that you are never engaging with the ship never engaging with islands as your pirate that is a big miss for me personally. big miss yeah and when you're playing you... multiplayer every, 
it's just four ships. You you just have if you're playing with four players, it's just four ships. Like you are still the captain of your ship, and you're playing with your buddies, and they're the captains of their ship, and you just have this fleet, which is cool. And again, I think the ship combat looks great. Seeing the outrageous like missile launchers, like the yeah. fourteen round missile launchers that they like. Let's go. Let's if if ship combat is gonna be the main focus, you better at least make that fun. So seeing <laughs> that was cool, but the fact that you can only interact with your friends in their pirate form at outposts, I thought was a little lame. Yeah. Lame. Yeah. In fact, I, I didn't know that. So I watched the seven or eight minute gameplay overview that they posted. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't get from that, that if I'm hearing you correctly, if you go and say me and you play co-op, right, we're going to each be on our own ship. And like, I can't, I'm not a character running around where I can just come over and jump on your ship and hang out and, is that what you're saying? Like, yeah, we're, so we're literally, again, we're a ship. Like, a ship is our character, basically. When they when they showed the seven to eight minute gameplay, I had a lot of questions because, at, to your point, they kind of allude to the fact that you can plunder, you can play co-op, mm-hmm. but they didn't detail with what that meant. But when I saw them, the developers, get together and play, yeah, you started off as your two characters at an outpost, but once you leave the outpost, you're a ship. And for the entire mm. gameplay segment, you're a ship. You've lost me. Yeah, yeah, that's where I'm at. Like, yeah, that's what exactly where I'm at. And again, I think Skull and Bones and Sea of Thieves can exist together, and I think they can sure. be different experiences that appeal to a different audience. But I, I will need to play Skull of Bone, Skull and Bones before I say whether or not I am excited. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I when you said a Witcher Three in Pyroform, yes, make that. Someone yes. make that, please. Because uh, that's really what we all want is that big open world RPG, but where you're a pirate in the pirate times and you can get on your ship and travel around like, how do we not have that? I remember um, distinctly, I forget what year it was, but there was a an MMO. I think it was just called Pirates. Uh-huh. Like this, pirates. This, it, yeah. Yeah. It was just an MMO called Pirates. And I was it's, so excited. Sid Meier, wasn't it? No, no, this wasn't Sid, this wasn't Sid Meier's Pirates. This was just a, oh, I forget who made it. It was just an MMO with a generic name, like Pirates. Really? But it okay. wasn't Sid Meier's Pirates. It was okay. just called Pirates. And I remember being so excited for this release because it was going to be that. It was going to be the open world, the world of Warcraft, but pirate-themed. I was ready, bought it day one, and it was such a letdown. I played it for the first, like, two weeks, and I was like, all right, I'm moving on. Like, this is not what I want. And since then... I've, I've wanted that. And Sea of Thieves does that in a lot of ways. But I think, again, it doesn't have that linear RPG progression that some people want. No. And I, I hope somebody steps up to the plate and really, really does it. I've played yeah. Atlas, which I'm a big fan of Ark. But yeah. Atlas was a big miss in a lot of ways. It was not a compelling game. Again, mm-hmm. it, it delivered a lot of, on paper, it had everything you could want. There was giant sea beasts, there was kraken, nice. there was monsters, you could tame animals, you could fish, you could go to different outposts and get resources, um, you could totally customize your ship, you could build your ship from the ground up. But again, in execution, it yeah. was just a miserable grind. Just a, absolutely, mi- it would take you, you complain about being bored in Sea of Thieves when you're sailing between islands, it would yeah. take you 45 minutes to sail from one (laughs) island to another it was so bad so and i wanted it to be good because on paper again it was that big pirate fantasy that i wanted and yeah again that first gameplay that you touched on that seven to eight trailer it made it sound like it would maybe be more in line with that but when i saw what the core experience was for an extended period of time i have concerns 
about yeah. the gameplay loop and whether or not it'll be fun. Because <laughs> mm. I don't know that it'll be fun consistently. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Um, by the way, I was just laughing internally at, at the fact that we're both like, yeah, take The Witcher 3 and make a pirate. Like, take one of the greatest games ever made that took several years of development to make. Uh, just do that and make it pirates. Come on, somebody. Like, there's it's been, easy. Um, this, is, this is a cult sleeper <laughs> underground hit, but Risen 2. It is, it's okay. a little, it's a jank, it's j on the jankier side, it's, it's a double A game, but if you want that darker, grittier pirate RPG, check out Risen 2. It's on, P I think it's on Steam, um, it's definitely on 360, I don't think it's been on current platforms, but Risen 2, I think that's probably been the closest that we've gotten so far to that open world-ish Witcher style RPG. I've heard of it. I've never played it. Yeah. So if if you want that in the interim, check it out. It's definitely. I don't know how it holds up. I haven't played it since <laughs> launch on 360. But for its time, I was pretty impressed. But I also liked Two Worlds too. So say that. I'm I'm okay oh. with a little jank in my open world RPG. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, November eighth, huh? That's what they're targeting for this. November eighth. So I'm gonna get to a couple super chats here because they tie into. I'm going to get to one and then circle back to a couple. Hargy, legend, absolute legend, dropped a code for Forza Horizon Premium in the chat. Awesome. He's also dropped this. Is Skull and Bones a good Game Pass game? Multiplayer, co-op, good way to try it out. Also, where's that Ubisoft Plus on Xbox? And why is good a bad SC word? I don't know what that is. I, yeah, I don't. What's that last phrase mean? Why is good a bad SC word? <laughs> I'm not sure. Okay, but while we get clarification on that, um, do you think Skull and Bones is a good candidate? We've seen Ubisoft launch other, I would say, lukewarm titles like uh, Rainbow Six Quarantine, titles that yeah. in theory were cool, but I don't think they were super confident in their performance into Game Pass. Do you yep. think there's a possibility that Ubisoft says, hey, Xbox? How are you feeling about uh, throwing some money down for Skull and Bones? You know, I, I, as soon as he asked the question, my mind went to two different opposite directions. My, my first thought was, we've talked that Xbox could use a big AAA release in Game Pass this fall because of the move of Starfield. Yes. Um, so it could something like Skull and Bones, even if we're not hot on it, it's, it's a big Ubisoft AAA game it'll have an audience to some degree, right? It could be a big win for them. Then the other part of my mind thought, as we've already said, this game's been in development for several years. Ubisoft has a lot invested in this. It's a big AAA IP. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I think they probably want to recoup their money. They've already announced $110, you know, like they do, Ultimate Editions. Um, I, I don't see it landing day and date on Game Pass. So I don't know. I, I think it could be good either way, but... Yeah, I think it would be good for Xbox, but I don't know if Ubisoft... I think this might be too big for them to, uh, to not want to kind of capitalize on day one sales. Yeah, this is their big holiday release. This is Ubisoft's big yeah. one. So, I mean, like you said, they have all of these different additions. They did not have all those different... They had a couple different additions with Quarantine, but they didn't have their typical $110 mega blowout edition. So clearly they're expecting people to be excited about this. Clearly they're expecting people to spend a lot of money on this and also worth noting this is a seven dollars pop y'all this is ubisoft's rollout of hey our big games are 70 bucks now yep and so that 
that was quiet by the way you that know was that quiet. was just, just kind of happened yeah that yeah. you know they're they're setting that precedent and moving into next year uh there's speculation that maybe we see xbox first party start saying you know what everybody else is doing it our games that are only on the current gen and not previous gen they're gonna be 70 bucks again with xbox game pass that alleviates that price but we're slow everyone's inching closer to that 70 dollars <laughs> price point we're, we're, we're getting we're moving towards that world um but yeah skull and bones for game pass would be an interesting get I think the like the bigger one I would hope Xbox targets. I think Saints Row has potential to be a really fun co-op yeah, centric man. one. That's the one I'm pulling for for like big third party partners for the fall. It looks great, man. Yeah, great. it looks like a blast. I'm I'm so ready for some big dumb open yeah. world fun. Like so again, I don't think Skull and Bones would be bad. I think that would be a guaranteed way for me to check it out. Um, because yep. I can tell you firsthand. I know they're doing play tests. I've, I'm going to sign up for the play tests because I want to play it. And that'll be the deciding factor as to whether or not I pick it up. But based on what I've seen so far, I would not pay $70 for this out of the gate. Unless reviews come out, rock my socks off. It is the megaton pirate dream experience that everyone wants. I'm not rushing out to spend 70 bucks on what I've seen so far of Skull and Bones. But in Game Pass, let's go, baby. Let's get the squad. Let's go catch, catch some stuff on fire. I'm with you. I completely agree. All right. A couple more pirate-related super chats here. Appreciate y'all. Hargit Chotney says, Skull and Bones comes out one day before Ragnarok. <laughs> Xbox needs an answer. Just saying. That's why I was laughing about the November 8th date, and yeah. I know we're going we're gonna to talk about that in a minute. Um, November 8th. Um, uh, yeah, we'll t uh, I'll save that. I'll save that yeah, yeah, yeah. spinoff for another. But yeah, November 8th, day before Ragnarok. <laughs> I mean... Let's be real. Ragnarok's going to be a huge game. It's going to be massive. But I feel like they're, both these games can exist. I don't think there's going to be a, a huge overlap for the people rushing out to buy Skull and Bones Day 1 and God of War Ragnarok Day 1. But I, I don't know. Maybe yeah, there's one more. Ragnarok's only one platform, too. So, yeah, that's true. You know, I mean. This is the, the multi-plat Ubisoft banger for holiday 2022, bro. Come on <laughs> now. Uh, Hargit, another super chat here says the shows will come down to what oh this is referring to Summer Game Fest E3 the shows will come down to what content is available to show the pandemic yep. has slowed down development hope there's a lot to show exactly yep, yep. you can only if people want to say you know give grief to Jeff Keighley or really anyone Xbox PlayStation Nintendo anytime a show isn't just packed with nothing but bangers people are like this show sucks dude <laughs> this show sucks and again, they can only show what they can show. And, it's, you know, sometimes some years are not as stacked as others. And that's just the reality of the world we live in. All right. Um, Dylan Dodds with the Super Chat says there was a game made back in the day. It was called Pirates. And I think it had a Caribbean branding, but it was a sim. You got off and explore on feet. It was fun. Yes. Get it. I will. <laughs> I am a firm believer that if you're going to make a pirate game, I better be able to get off the ship and go on the island. Yes. All right. 100%. That's a big L from Skull and Bones for me. But again, it doesn't mean it won't be bad. I think because I used to love me some Sid Meier, Sid Meier's Pirates back in the day. And that wasn't that. That wasn't Sea of Thieves, but it was more of that sim experience. So yeah, it's true. They can coexist. They definitely can. Um, all right. Sergeant Rake, who's been a channel member for nine months, 
says, it's that time again, Miles, where I publicize my distaste for Xbox's game DVR <laughs> and complete lack of console editing software. Will they ever fix it? Ames, he's not, he's not wrong. What man. on earth is happening with game uh, DVR? I, I honestly like. I, we joke about this all the time. Like, I love Xbox. I talk about Xbox all the time. I write about Xbox. Um, there's a lot of things. I think the vast majority of things they're doing right in today's game environment. Right. This is not one of those things. Uh, I I don't understand fundamentally how, as an Xbox team. Whoever is responsible for this, I don't know how you weren't more prepared for social sharing with this generation or or over the last few years, I could say. Like, There's I just a share don't button, get it. though. Uh, come on. Come <laughs> on. <laughs> like, if, if you think about the social experience, and Xbox pioneered so many aspects of console social gaming, right? That's been the Xbox thing forever. I mean, Xbox Live, you look at party chat, you look at all these different things they've done over the years. How do you have functionality within your ecosystem that is so antiquated and frustrating to use for not only uh, clip sharing and editing, but streaming? I think you and I talked about this before. Their streaming support is poor as well. And it's like you live in the day and age of social media and streaming. That's half the damn gaming industry nowadays. How were you not better prepared for this? I, I, it's the one aspect of Xbox I can't answer. It just baffles me. I don't yeah, get it. Yeah, a lot. The frustrations have been they've been around for a while. The problem I have with game DVR for Xbox this isn't a recent issue. This has been broken for like three, four years. A long time. A long time. Yeah. It's been fundamentally busted since Xbox One. And the problem with this transitional gen generation is they had to carry that over. So they are still trying to, I think, realistically figure out how to maintain this OS and create or fix the DVR without busting something out. And again, we talked about this earlier, but it's probably way more complicated than sure. we fully understand. But that being said, yo, dog, Nintendo Switch has better game DVR than, <laughs> than the Xbox Series X. What is up with that? I'm like, come Sorry. on. I was just yeah, going to say, yeah. like, being able to, you know, t record gameplay and then go into my gallery on the Switch and edit, trim that gameplay down and post it in a matter of seconds. I can't yeah. do that on Xbox consistently. I you can't. can do that on your phone. Like, I mean, you can do it anywhere, right? I mean, the PlayStation 5, uh, as you know, I have obviously complaints with the PlayStation ecosystem different from Xbox, but they had a brand new UI for their PS5, right? And that, in terms of game editing with their, um, their studio, as well as streaming, is so much better than uh -huh. Xbox. Yeah. It's just so much easier and, and simpler and to use. And I'm just like, this is Microsoft, for God's sakes. We're not talking about some bodunk indie, you know, publisher that's working. This is Microsoft. Like, you guys can figure this out, for God's sakes. Like, uh, yeah, I could rant about that for a while. But it's the one, it's one of the biggest things with the Xbox ecosystem I can't understand. I just don't get it. I would love to see some advancements in the social tech because... One of my favorite things about PlayStation 5, their new UI, is how it leans into sharing. And like you said, they're going to be revamping their editing software. And they also had some innovative, like genuinely innovative features. The ability to share your screen with your party chat members. That yeah. is so cool. Like even if you don't use it all that often. I remember playing Demon Souls with a buddy on PS5. And he's like, oh, did you find this armor set? And I'm like, no, where, where is it? He's like, share your screen. So we're in the party chat. I'm sharing my screen and he's navigating me in the game as to yeah. where to get this piece of armor. And that is so dope. That is so good. And 
I want Xbox to have cool, innovative tech like that. And like you said, at once upon a time, they leaned into it, but I feel like their priorities, you know, in a lot of ways, understandably so, aren't there. They're not, they're not revolving around the social aspects. And as someone who likes to share screenshots, likes to share clips, you know, likes to go online and have fun with the community, that bums me out. That really, really yeah. bums me out. Well, and they're, and they're, their app uh, on the phone, which they've revised and that caused issues of its own, I won't get into. But generally speaking, their app has been more forward thinking. That's how I share clips all the time is I download it on my phone on the app and then just post it on Twitter because trying to do anything off the Xbox is pointless. Um, it, it's weird to me. I, I, I don't know. It, I don't it, know. It hurts. And again, we've, we've had figures like Jason Ronald. Love Jason. He's come out and said it is a priority awesome. for them. I, I am sure I can guarantee you the team is trying to figure it out, but I'm wondering if it's going to be this big rollout because they really need to like completely fundamentally restructure how it works. Yeah. And I think that's just realistically. There's, obviously, there is no easy fix. There is e obviously no easy fix for the game DVR, or we would have one. So I think the fix is just going to be a complete revamp of the entire system, which at this point, hey, let's go, please. Please, yeah. let's go. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. Eh, I could say a lot more. I, I liked when uh, they bought Mixer, right? Or it was Beam. People may not remember that Mixer was, was originally called yeah. Beam. Yeah. Uh, they bought That's, Beam, which oh. is a small company. Yeah. And I was excited about that when they bought Beam because they had unique technology which allowed data transferring it at basically real-time speeds right yeah. so you could you could stream a game but you could almost play like i've played uh jackbox party pack games on mixer with my friends all over the world mm. because it was like real time right um and i love mixer their mixer integration was fantastic and when mixer went away th that just destroyed it like their their integration for streaming is terrible so when you look at streaming when you look at game dvr it's just really poor. And I also think, you know, a lot of, we're off on a tangent now, but uh, I know other people are hoping for uh, an achievement revamp too. Like achievements have been generally pretty flat for years now. And it's just like, I, I think you have to continually update those social aspects of your ecosystem because they're important to a lot of people. Um, and we see that kind of uh, leaned into more in other areas on other platforms. And it just, it's weird. It's weird that Xbox is so forward thinking in some things, but so antiquated in others i know i'm hoping for the big refresh we all a lot of us are a lot of the legacy fans and this is a, a conversation i've had with other folks in the past as well but i also kind of wonder if deep down xbox is looking at the success of platforms like switch for example but they don't have any of that they don't they don't have any of that and people just don't care so maybe there's some sort of metric that shows like only a small percentage of the user base engages with it. And so therefore for them, it's not a huge priority. And again, as part of that vocal, I guess minority, maybe I, again, I don't have the data to say whether or not that is the reality, right. but if we are a vocal minority um, of legacy Xbox fans, it is still a bummer that they aren't leaning into that in some ways. Cause I can't imagine the percentage is drastically higher on PlayStation and they are leaning into it as like really mm -hmm. leaning into it. So I don't know. It just bums well, and, me out. And to your point, maybe this is going to be a controversial statement, but <gasps> uh -oh. Xbox doesn't have the benefit of being lackadaisical on those fronts like Nintendo can, right? Nintendo's audience is drastically different in how they view the company than Xbox. Yeah, you put um, out a Nintendo, Nintendo banger once a year, 
people are good. People are they're stoned. done. Yeah, yeah, they're good. They're good. That's it. Uh, and and that's a, a completely different thing. So they don't have Xbox doesn't have that leeway. They've always been the the gaming company. And why I love them is they've always been that gaming company that does put that foot forward with technology, right? And does move things forward and does try new things. And I, that's what I love about them. That's what got me to love them over the past 20 years. So I, you know, it, and they're still doing that. Don't get me wrong. They're doing that in countless ways. Uh, but this is just one of those aspects that's overlooked, I think. Yeah, I just, I guess one more final point on this. For me, gaming is a very social thing. It's, it's always yeah. been a very social thing. And quite frank, frankly, that is the reason that I gravitated towards the Xbox like the original Xbox and into Xbox 360, the emphasis on social gaming. That was the reason that I was so excited about that platform. And so again, as someone who was sold on the platform for those reasons initially, I I am a little disappointed in how that has been pushed to the side in, in favor of other things. And again, they've had platform problems. They've had game problems. They've had hardware problems. There have been a lot of problems on the Xbox side in recent years that they've worked adamantly to correct and we can't really downplay what they've done in a lot of regards but the social side of things in this current state is lacking yeah. yep let me make sure i'm all caught up on super chats here uh okay hardgeet says for some reason super chat won't go through with the word good spelled with o's instead of z <laughs> okay youtube what is going on <laughs> what is, what on earth so Hargy, if, if you're listening on the audio versions, when I read that last super chat, all of the word good had zeros instead of O's. And now he is saying that is because the YouTube will not let him spell the word good. YouTube's like positive energy on my platform? No, no, -uh. you can write bad 500,000 times in one super chat. But if you write the word good once, I'm shutting it down. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Ah, oh, uh, Google. That's comedy. Mm, mm, the algorithm at its best. Oh, yeah. Yes, the algorithm. I love it. Okay, anyway, anyway, before I go on a, a rant about society as a whole, let's talk about a tweet, actually. A tweet that I had tweet. just for fun yesterday. And I'm, I'm curious to see where you stand before we talk about the great game of the year debate. Okay, let's hear it. A about a month and a half ago. The internet was saying 2022 has no games. There's nothing to play. It's a super slow year for games. Now, now I'm looking at the calendar and I'm thinking there's there might be too many games to play. There is like it went from like I don't know what to play to oh my god I don't know how I'm gonna play all of these games. So yep. I took to Twitter and I said, if you're only playing four games day one this year, what are those four games? So Ains, yep. I saw you in the thread. So yeah, for the people listening, for the people commenting, if you're only playing four games this year on day one, what are they? Uh, now I got to try and remember. I mean, for sure, my, my big two now are God of War Ragnarok and Callisto Protocol. Let me talk to you about a game called Callisto Protocol, Ooh, Miles. Mama. <laughs> Come on, man. I'm Ooh. so pumped for that game. Um, so those two are, I would say, by far and away the biggest. And then Plague Tale Requiem, I'm pumped for. Uh, and shockingly, because I rarely ever turn on my switch, like ever. Uh, but I am pumped for Mario and Rabbids Sparks of Hope as well. That soundtrack, dude, three of the greatest composers of all time on the track, dude. There's some ridiculous oh talent God. behind that game. And they, they, they really look to have expanded the scope of what that game is beyond the first one too. And the first one was already good. 
So, um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, it's nice to be excited for a game coming to the Switch. That doesn't happen for me very often. Uh, but I am pumped for that. And there's, there's a lot of other games I'm looking forward to playing, too. Um, but I'd say those are the big four. What about you? Yeah, it's 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 tough because I have a, a, a running calendar right now of the games I'm prioritizing. Because you know, working on games coverage, you know, you gotta have a good scope of what's coming out when it's coming out, and there's only yep. so much time in a day, y'all. I'm sorry. As much as I want to play every game, I just can't. So I'm in the process of prioritizing games. So that's what got me thinking about this, and it's tough. This is not an easy four, and there are so many more games I will be playing day one without question but if i'm only picking for pokemon y'all pokemon scarlet and violet let's go first open world pokemon first pokemon game with online co-op let's get it second my, my switch is getting a lot of love this year i gotta say it's been you know it's been a stacked year for switch live alive which is a basically hd 2d remake of this obscure Japanese RPG from the one the creator of Final Fantasy VI, and it, it basically had never come stateside, and they're doing this big blowout remaster. Super excited to try that because I never played it. I, I've heard great Me things neither. about it. I've it's, it's on my list too. Games of like, if you are a legacy JRPG fan, you need to play this game. Kind of title, so really excited for that. Yeah, um, Callisto Protocol as well, Hell right yeah. there with come you, on. dude. No question at all. Day one, Callisto Protocol. Let's go. Yeah. And then oh. my last one, um, High on Life. I was yes. so, so delighted by that showing. It looks yeah. so weird. The, the, the cast, the, the amazing voice cast, Justin Roiland. I've played some of his other games, and they're silly. They're goofy. But this looks like the biggest, boldest idea that they've had, and I'm excited to see how that plays out. Captivated by that world. Like, I'm firmly in the camp that the more games I play, the weirder I want games to be. And so when I see something like High on Life, I'm like, oh, yeah, all right, let's go. Let's get weird with it. So that's another yeah, one that's high, high on my list. Yeah, that one looks great. Um, like I said, there, there's quite a few more, I think. I mean, I'm I'm excited to, for the Modern Warfare 2 reboot. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Just because I'm not a big Call of Duty guy, but lot of memories of modern warfare 2 both mm -hmm. the campaign and, and multiplayer and remember that they're doing the whole warzone 2.0 thing in coordination with that too so if you are a call of duty fan it should be a huge fall for call of duty um there's a lot of other like indie games coming too like that are coming out them like uh, cult of the lamb oh some, yeah you know, yeah cult like of the lamb looks so good it looks awesome um and then uh i persona 5 was an amazing game and I never, I bought Royal on the PS4, never went back and played it. So that coming to Game Pass was big for me too. I want to go mm -hmm. back and play that. Um, I, again, like you said, too much time. I don't know where I'm going to get at the time. October's, oh, October's looking scary, dude. Oh, there's so yeah. much. Like I want to play. Ask... Sorry, I mean interrupt you. I was just going to say I want to play Star Ocean as well, and that's another. Okay. October yeah, yeah. slapper. Another one coming out. And then, what do you think about this Avatar game? Oh yeah, you know what? I am that's... really. I'm really Ubisoft. interested because is that coming 2022 though? Have they confirmed a date on that? They they said within a month the movie. So the movie is oh okay. When's the movie coming out? I, I think the movie's this fall, I thought right? It was, well, let's see. Let me Google that real quick. Yeah, Avatar. I, is it Shape of Water? No. Am I the only person who didn't expect it to be first person? Like it looks like Far Cry Avatar, which it's Ubisoft, so who knows? But uh, I'm very curious to see what that game turns out like because that's been in development for a long, long time as well. 
Oh yeah, December. Avatar The Way of Water. Coming this December. Yeah, that's a big holiday movie. So You, you know what? Yeah. Avatar is eye candy. Really, really stunning. Yeah. Really beautiful. That world. Like, that style of world to me. That is the video game world that I want to explore. So as yeah. much as I'm not really super stoked on the Avatar branding per se, yep. there's no denying that that is going to be such a fun sandbox for developers to play around with. All of the creatures, all of the, the wildlife, everything that they can play with in that world, that has me excited. So to see what they do with that in that space, I'm interested. And yeah. a, a quick throwback to the Avatar licensed game that Ubisoft did for yes. 360, that game was actually pretty damn good. Like yep. for a licensed movie tie-in game, not bad. Got to throw some respect <laughs> on it. So to see it come back again and have this big budget kind of version of it, I'm I'm curious. Yeah. So I would definitely check that out as well. Yeah, um, and then there's um, there's no. It still says holiday, but we're supposed to get Hogwarts Legacy too. Oh yeah, Hog Hogwarts Legacy. Yeah, this yeah. this fall is shaping up to be quite stacked. Yeah, Quite there's a whole sad. bunch more too. Yeah, I when people, I'm never one of those that says uh, there's no games to play or you know there there's there's too many games to play. There's always too many games to play. Um, it's just you know I can't keep up, even it's, in the slow periods. It's crazy. It's out of control. All right, now that we have a lot of these release dates, now that we know what the rest of the year is is shaping up to be. Uh, the great game of the year 2022 <laughs> baits, debates have begun because now that God of War Ragnarok has its November 9th release date, which let's go. I'm yeah. glad it's coming this year. I figured it was coming this year. We've seen Corey teasing a lot of stuff over the last few months, despite some reports and speculation that it might push to 2023, but it's now confirmed. 2022, the boy adventure. Part two <laughs> is coming to PS5. And I got to say, it. I know like there's been the weird conversations with it looking like DLC or whatever, but I think the game looks so damn good. Like yeah. the, sh the showing was so damn good. And like that new CG trailer with the giant, with Fenrir, like yeah. the imagery that they're showing. Oh, dude, come on. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's I confirmed. Mean... That's going to be a, that's going to be a holiday slapper guaranteed. Yeah. 100%. Uh, I, yeah, the DLC thing is silly to begin with. Like, it's it's the next game, sure. It's a continuation. We're going to get... it's. We've talked about this, right? It's not going to have the same impact, in my opinion, as 2018 did, because 2018 was a full-on reboot, a complete rethink of the franchise, right? And it is a continuation of that style of game uh, with probably the same engine, same optimization they did for the PS5 version of the, you know, the current 2018 God of War. Mm -hmm. um, but... You know, no, come on. If you're doubting that this game is going to be something special, um, you know, you're fooling yourself. This game's going to be special. Yeah, there's a reason so many folks are excited because yeah. as much as I loved God of War 3 for how just ridiculously over the top it was and how gory and brutal it was, it was really interesting and quite frankly refreshing to see them come back to that IP that has been associated with just the most relentless man action that you can <laughs> comprehend and kind of reimagine it add some nuance to it add some some compelling storytelling add some worthwhile characters to it um so yeah that that's definitely going to be huge but with all of that comes the the need for these games to be game of the year 
Uh, we saw it with Starfield when that got its release date. A lot of the people on the Xbox side were like, Starfield game of the year 2022, bro. <laughs> and now it's not even coming 2022. And now, yep. without fail, uh, a lot of the PlayStation folks, God of War, baby, game of the year 2022. <laughs> no questions, son. And it's it's a little annoying. Oh, and course. I want to get your thoughts because Elden Ring right now, for a lot of people, I think has been the front runner for for game of the year. You and yep. I both shared a lot of glowing praise for Elden Ring. So yep. what I want to know, because you listed God of War Ragnarok as one of the four games guaranteed you're playing day one. I will yep. also be playing it day one. What does God of War need to do for you for it to usurp the Elden Ring throne? I, I honestly, I talked about this with some friends the other day. I don't think it can for me. Um, because goes back to what we just said. It is a continuation of a story we know right um in a in a world we know and i think it's going to be incredible i think it's going to be amazing i think it's going to be one of the highest rated games of the year maybe all time who knows um but i think because it's familiar um and because we know the structure of what that game is i just don't think it's going to uh take that kind of revolutionary step forward for the industry like elden ring did elden ring was a complete game changer um it, it it literally became the discourse of the gaming industry for a period of time and you and i you know we both reviewed it we've played it for hundreds of hours i think i have 10 days now of play time <laughs> oh i'm i'm definitely up there with you yeah for sure um because i have four characters on xbox and i reviewed it on pc so uh i mean i just endless time and i think elder ring just moved the bar in so many different ways from open world design to uh you know storytelling just so many different things right god of war to to top that for me would have to be it would have to kind of stick to the formula that we know it's going to be but it would have to be so damn near perfect and so and blow me away in so many different ways within that formula uh to do that and i just don't see that happening believe me i hope it does everyone always wants the best game experience possible right I hope God of War blows me away completely, but Elden Ring for me is a is a game that that first playthrough when we were reviewing it, and we you remember the conversation offline where we started to say is is this a ten? Like yeah, I, I'm think I'm thinking of giving this a ten. Like I don't see how this can't be a ten. You know what I mean? And it's just one of those. Uh, I've only had a few experiences in in nearly forty years of gaming now where i can just reflect on them and think that was revolutionary to me it, it just completely different from anything you know i could have imagined elden ring is one of those and i just don't see i don't see how god of war tops that and let's not forget outside of my own personal opinion nowadays in today's environment for a game on release initial release to get a metacritic score of 96 is almost unheard of you know, I mean, it, it basically got tens across the board. That goes back um, to like the 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 simpler times in gaming, where uh, uh, Ocarina of Time, for example, got yeah. like a ninety-seven or whatever, because they're right. just it was innovative, and there weren't a lot of games to play, and there weren't right. a lot of like nowadays the competition's fierce. Yeah, and there were fifteen outlets. You know what yeah. I mean? It was like now, you know, there's there's so many different outlets. There's so many outlets that are just Xbox or just PlayStation, and so you get. Bias creeps in, as we all know, uh, but for Elden Ring to just be so dominant across the board and to be, it's already going to be one of the best selling games of all time. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, 
it's revolutionary in many ways. I know I've, I could talk about Elden Ring forever, as you know. So I, I just don't think, I don't care what comes out. I don't think anything's topping Elden Ring this year. Yeah, it's it's tough. And again, like I will preface my my take here with the fact that you can have a game of the year and you don't have to say that, you know, Jeff Keighley's game awards pick. That's the that's the game of the year pick. You can have your own game of the year pick. We all can. That's that's totally fine. How much stake you want to put in someone else's game of the year pick is is totally up to you. You decide how much value that has at the end of the day. But I've been saying like similar to you I can't fathom a game coming out this year, even when Starfield was on the table, even when God of War, Ragnarok, I mean, that's still on the table. I couldn't fathom a game that was going to come out and have that, that impact yeah. that Elden Ring had. And again, I want that. There's no, there, no greater feeling in the world to, to play a game and have it completely subvert and exceed all of your expectations. No better feeling in the world. Like I, there's nothing more exciting than playing a game that completely blows blows you away and rapper enraptures you. And so, yeah, I want that. I want that every single game I play. I want it to somehow surprise me and blow my mind. So going into yep. Elden Ring, I had high expectations. I was familiar yeah. with From Software's work. I was not expecting that game to be what it was in terms of scope, in terms of everything. The, the, what that game delivered was absolutely ridiculous. It was, it, yep. again, it complete, like you said, it completely reinvented what an open world RPG is in, in a way that we haven't really seen in a long time. And that is, that is powerful. That is important. And it's one of those games that I immediately jumped back into. I've almost never in my life beat a hundred plus hour open world game and said, let's do it again, baby. Let's dive <laughs> straight. That, that has pretty much never happened. And I've done that three times with Elden Ring and I'm going to do it more. And so it is, it's hard to say and hard to imagine that any game is going to top that for me. And like you said, a lot of people feel the same way. The conversations, the amount of energy and the amount of time that that game was on the top sellers list and the amount of time that that game was top played on Steam, like so yep. many factors showed you that this game wasn't just some niche hit that only critics love. This game had this huge appeal for a huge number of players. And so I'm really curious to see what the conversations look like later this year. And I am really curious and hopeful to see if there's, you know, a, a contender that steps toe to toe. Cause I think so far I can confidently say there's nothing that has released this year. That's come close to Elden Ring for me. No, nothing. No, I, I, there's other games I've loved so far this year. Um, and I think it goes without saying, you know, when you're talking about game of the year that God of War Ragnarok will be the game that, you know, the, the biggest contender to challenge it, right? It was, like what, that, It was the, the big uh, controversy. I don't know if it was a controversy is the right word, but there was Red Dead Redemption 2, which for a lot of people was a masterpiece. And then is. God of War. And guess, Red what, Dead guess two, who Red won? Two, Red Dead 2 got robbed. Guess got who robbed. won, baby? Guess who won the game? Of the, and again, so people were like saying that, a lot of people expected Red Dead Redemption 2 to be the, the, the clear front runner and then God of War 1. So now some people are saying, well, maybe God of War can come out and step into the ring with Elden Ring. It, I, I think from a... So there's two things. One is we, when we talk Game of the Year, I think a lot of people are talking about the Video Game Awards nowadays, yes, right? Which, which I think is what we're referring to here because there's plenty of other Game of the Year uh, awards that can win from big outlets and everything else. But in terms of the video game awards, I think the other thing that's interesting, and I'm sure you saw this too, is that God of War is releasing on the exact same day as Forza Horizon 5 did last year. And Forza Horizon 5 was not eligible for Game of the Year last year. 
So the question is releasing on November 9th when the the date for submission for game of the year has to be November 4th, I think I read from Keeley's show. Um, I don't even know if God of War will be eligible until next year. Well, there's that. Yeah, that I guess we can dive into that because there's been a lot of passionate takes regarding that. Of course, because Yes, there was a lot of controversy regarding Forza Horizon 5 last year not being wow. nominated for Game one of, of the Year. I'm one of them. Fan- that amazing game deserved game. it. Amazing game. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. And so there was basically reports saying that the 5th was the cutoff, and then Jeff Keighley came out and said the 19th was the cutoff after the fact, or that voting started on the 5th, but the actual deadline was the 19th. And so now Jeff Keighley has come out this year and said that the deadline for sure is the 19th. And so people are now going back and saying, well, then why wasn't Forza nominated for game of the year? Uh, Forza won, what was the best sports game? Uh, Yeah, they do racing and sports together, which is mind boggling to me, especially as a racing fan that angers me to no no end. (laughs) We'll leave that alone. Yeah, so racing and sports... Forza won that by a line. That wasn't even a competition, really. Like, Forza dominated yeah. that one, won that one. So Jeff Keighley's saying, well, it did win something. And so, again, I, I don't have all the insights as to how the panels were. I have talked to a couple people who have been involved with the process and have gotten some insights to it, but I don't have all the details on how the voting comes down. But it sounded like with Forza, like, not everyone in the panel played it enough to say it was yeah. definitively game of the year. Is, yeah. is from my understanding. Something and, like that, yeah. Even though it was the highest rated game of the year. Ex- ex- uh, yeah. But, but whatever. A lot of the people not, on the panel didn't finish Forza Horizon 5 or whatever or something to yeah. that effect, which sure. made it so a lot of people didn't feel comfortable nominating it for game of the year. Yeah. Again, yeah. I don't want to d- dive too deep into that yeah. hole because I know there's a lot of assumptions being made about how it all works and bias and all of that. and. Yes. Jeff Keighley hates Xbox and loves PlayStation, so he's built an entire award show around making PlayStation win. I I don't really want to get into all of that. Yep, yep. But um, so right. let let's get back to God of War. Let's say it's eligible, right? Let's assume that. Um, so assuming it's eligible, I do think it can contend with game uh Elden Ring for Game of the Year, even though it, in my mind, well, we haven't played God of the War, so you know we'll see. But I think the thing about the Game of the Year award for uh, the video game awards in particular is that a game like God of War is more, I would say, accessible. Maybe it's not even the right word, but it's it's more familiar. It is Kratos is iconic. It's more in the vein of that third person action adventure storytelling game that uh, just kind of gets... Um, I don't know. It, it, it's more kind of easy to consume, if that makes sense, than Elden Ring, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to tell a story that is direct, and everyone will understand it, everyone will follow it, you know, and, and they'll enjoy it. Whereas Elden Ring, for all of the stuff we love about it, it still is a From Software game, right? And it mm-hmm. still is technically like Dark Souls 4, kind of, in the sense yeah, of... Yeah, there, there, There's a lot that. of stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in that game that is... Um, kind of uh god man i i stayed up too late last night my brain's not working but it's <laughs> it's, it's like you, you, as a player you have to figure that out you have to invest in that game to get the most out of it right god of war is a much more streamlined experience 
where it's it's triple a it's incredible i've already said kind of the superlatives of god of war and i love 2018 and i'm sure i'll love ragnarok but it's a very different type of game from elden ring and i think the type of game that god of war ragnarok will be and is speaks more to more people who play it than something like elden ring so i guess the question for me is it's probably if i had to guess it's going to come down to did elden ring do enough and and kind of change the industry enough uh to overcome the recency bias and hype and love for god of war as a franchise to beat it out that's that's going to be the question and again god of war ragnarok may do stuff we're not expecting and completely blow us away and if yeah. it does that, and that's then... that's what a lot of us are hoping for because again i yeah. really did not like the whole oh it looks like dlc conversation because it's so it's, again that's, it's it's dumb it's coming from a bad place you're that's coming from a place where you just don't want that game to do and again, like, I don't like those conversations because regardless of the platform, I don't typically want to see any game just do poorly or be received poorly or have people not like it. And I don't think the creators want to spend years of their life putting out a game that nobody wants to play or nobody likes. So again, the DLC point really bothered me, really annoying. But yes. that being said, Agreed. I do think, all right, let's, let's do this then. How many, how many picks do they typically have for game of the year? Six. Six? Six nominees? What do you think are going to be the six nom... Just throwing out some names. What are the six nominees for Game of the Year 2022? I'm putting you on the spot. I haven't thought about oh this my as God. well. So um, if you're listening as well in the chat, let us know what you think those titles will be. But six titles that are going to be in the Game of the Year 2022 nomination category. Oh, boy. Uh, let's. <laughs> and let's, they can be ones go. that haven't come out. Again, this is just... Let's yeah. just, we're just guessing here. Let's go. Let's add Plague Tale Requiem. Okay. I'm hoping that uh, slaps. That looks. Yeah. yeah I'm, I think that'll be one of them. Um, what about. Uh, I'm, I'm looking through. Get some games now. I'm trying to cheat. I'm trying to cheat. Uh, so God of War, Elden Ring. Um, what about. What's the other highest rated game this year? You know, you know, the, I don't think this will be up in the game of the year because it's a much smaller game, but super highly rated is Rogue Legacy 2. Oh yeah, Rogue um, Legacy Two was Inscription this year. Did that launched earlier this year. Because I, I, if it I don't did, sorry, sounds like no, you're fine. Yeah, uh, you know, another one could be Mario and Rabbits. Sparks of Hope could oh, be yeah? up for Game of the Year. That could definitely be up there if uh, if that gets a lot of love. Yeah, I think um, that Inscription was last year, probably. Probably on PC. Yeah, October. Yeah, October. Yeah, yeah. Might have already um, won stuff. Now that I think about it, but. Yeah, I don't think Saints Row. I'm trying to think. Like Game of the Year is interesting because it's not necessarily about a Metacritic score. It's it's really no. Because uh, Resident kind of Evil Village different. did it had like I guess arguably a lower Metacritic score, but that was in the nominees, and I fully agreed with that one. That was one of my favorite games by a lot. Do you yeah. think? Um, because we have we have to remember the games from the end of last year as well. Do you think Halo Infinite is in that conversation? You know me. I would like it to be. Um, it, I mean, the, the campaign it, was reviewed and received quite well. The it, game it, as a whole was received quite well, right? In the, yeah. I, you know, no one's really closer. To, I just told you I played six hours of Halo yesterday. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm, I live and breathe Halo. So that the problem with the community right now is is obviously the content delivery from a multiplayer perspective. So I don't know if that impacts it. But yeah, I mean, it was reviewed really well last year from a from a scoring perspective. But I don't know. I. We got Xenoblade Chronicles 3 about to come out. That's a very popular franchise. Yes, I, I was kind of thinking maybe that would get put in there. 
Yeah, that could be up there. Um, I don't know. I think Hogwarts, if it comes out, will be too late. Callisto is too late because that's December as well. Um, yeah, I'm trying to look through to see what else there may be there. I don't think Saints Row is a game of the year type game. I don't think. I mean, I would love it to just come out and just crush that hard to be like considered that. Because <laughs> I got to say, like when Saints Row 1 first hit the scene, I remember looking at that game and being like, what is this weird, cheap Grand Theft Auto ripoff? Yeah. This game looks yeah. stupid. And then I played it and I was like, oh, my God, this is like. This is what I want Grand Theft Auto to be. This game is not taking itself seriously at all. It's leaning into the dumb, over-the-top stuff that we all did in Grand Theft Auto anyway. Grand Theft Auto wanted the heavy narrative. It wanted the intense story. Saints Row said, no, this story is just dumb enough to push things along, and you're just going to be in this world causing chaos. And so no doubt. That's why I love loved me some Saints Row. But yeah. What about a... So let me ask you this, because I know this is a debate among people. Do games like modern warfare 2 uh as a full reboot uh and remember last of us one is being rebooted again oh that's right uh that's right that's coming september where do you draw the line on those games being eligible for because resident evil 2 remake was eligible so where where do you draw the line on on where a reboot or a remake is eligible for a a fresh game of the year and let's be real Resident Evil 2 slapped. That game was deserving oh, yeah. of that Amazing. spot, hands down. Amazing. So, yeah. yeah, you're right. Modern Warfare 2, technically more than a remake, it's a retelling. Exactly. So I would say that definitely could qualify if it comes out of the gate and crushes. And then Last of Us Remake, again, that is a fully, it's, they're telling us it's being fully remade from the ground up with a new yep. engine, new combat. So I feel like that has to count too. Okay. Right? Because Last not of Us a, 1, as we know, is one of the most cherished games of all time. So that, That's an interesting wrinkle. Is PlayStation going to have three nominees this year? Are they going to have Last of Us Part 1, God of War Ragnarok, and Horizon? And Horizon's another one that's up there. Yeah, I was talking to someone about this the other day. I'm a huge Horizon fan. I've got Horizon merch around my game room, and I, I was pumped for Forbidden West. And I think Elden Ring killed that game for me. Like... I, I reviewed Elden Ring, and then I went to play Forbidden West, and I've tried three times now to get into that game, and I can't get into it. And I, I don't know why. It's, I will say, there was, I've talked to some other people about this, because I thought maybe I was just weird, or something was wrong with my brain, but I've talked to some other people about the, the post-Elden Ring blues. And it's there was real. Like, there was it's like real. a period of time where like I tried to play a bunch of games after Elden Ring, and I was like, is an Elden Ring. This isn't. <laughs> it's not coming close to those highs. Like it's not. It's yeah. not. And it was like this weird depressive point where I was like, I couldn't get into games for a few weeks. Like I just yeah. couldn't find anything that that grabbed me. I found no, some stuff way. since, but yeah, that was that was a real thing. So yeah, one hundred percent. So yeah. So let, let we said six, right? So let's think. It, let's assume they allow Last of Us. Okay, so I'll yeah, take well, that as one. Last yeah. of Us, Last Elden, of Ring, Elden Ring, God of War, God of War, Horizon, Horizon, Plague Tale, Plague Tale. There's got there's got to be one indie darling. There has to be. Oh, what if? Oh, this is a big one. I was going to mention today. What if Hollow Knight releases this year? Hollow oh, Knight Silk, Silk Song? Song. Oh yeah. So we know it's coming in the next eleven months as we're talking today, but they still don't have a release date. Um. I don't know, because mm, that know. is a chair, you know, the community for that game is through the roof, ready the, for that. We've had some 
amazing indie titles. Nobody Saves the World. Love, love that Good game. One. Tunic, yeah. another one people are really, really high on. Um, so I feel like there's got to be the one big indie standout this year. And then again, I know a lot of people on the Xbox camp are kind of downplaying Pentiment, but if that Pentiment. is like like an excellent narrative-driven experience that really has a compelling story in, in the style of Disco Elysium, where even though it's not necessarily that riveting gameplay loop, but has that great story, yeah. and we know Josh Sawyer and that team over at Obsidian knows how to write a good story, um, maybe that's in consideration as well. Yeah, I'd love to see it. I, uh... I'm one of those that when I was watching the, I don't know about you, I was watching the conference live, right? And live reacting to it. And I was like, what, what is this? It didn't do much for me. And then I went back and I watched the gameplay demo with Obsidian on it. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this, this looks pretty cool, man. I yeah. can dig this. So uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, I'm excited. Uh, by the way, Nine Live says uh, clear winner is uh, Bug Snacks. I think that's fair. You know, I reviewed Bugsnack for Windows Central, and I know that game got memed on by a lot of the Xbox fans because it was a PlayStation exclusive at the time, and people were like, this looks stupid, this looks cartoony. Yeah. That game slaps, y'all. All right, If you haven't actually given it a fair shake, that game is so good, so silly. It's, it's just wholesome. It's just wholesome, funny, touches on some, you know, social and, you know, identity crisis stuff, and it's, it's nice. It's a nice game. <laughs> I liked it. All right. I gave it a four out of five and I'd do it again. In all. <laughs> okay. So if you so have back off a of bug snack, if you haven't experienced bug snacks, it's on Xbox game pass. All right. Treat yourself. It was on PlayStation plus and it was on Xbox game pass. If you have either of those platforms, you should have played it by now. Okay. Oh, I, we said five and then we went to indie. I forgot about sparks of hope. I'm telling you. Never count out Mario and being in a game of the year conversation if that game's really good. You know, I'm, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, that comes out well after the cutoff, or that comes out like at the cutoff, so that won't be there. But Pokemon Legends Arceus, that game, that game hit, dude. That game hit in a huge way. You're I've, talking to a guy who I've tried multiple I know, and times this is in an Pokemon. I can't yeah, do it. Exactly. This is an Xbox show, so a lot of people are like, oh, Pokemon, <laughs> gross. What are you, a baby? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. no what about grounded baby. people in the chat are saying grounded ah i don't think game of the I year but i am really excited for it that's interesting i hope that gets nominated for something even yeah. even without the complete version i have said it and i'll say it again that that is one of my favorite survival games and one of the best survival games that i've played and i've played thousands and thousands of hours of survival games like i when arc came out my god i lost so many months <laughs> of my life to that so i love that formula the grounded world is just so unique so interesting my wife and i like we have played through that game so many every time there's a major update we just start over and we play through it again so That's when awesome. that when that hits in september we're doing it all over again baby let's go so i would love to see that I would love for that to hit, especially because it's such a small team working on this really beautiful passion project. Um, grounded. Don't sleep on it. I know it's not setting the world ablaze, but such a good idea. Such an amazing idea for a video game. Yeah. I know Pomp in the chat is, uh, he is a huge uh, proponent of it. And uh, I said, as soon as that 1.0 release hits, I'm definitely going in on that game. But yeah, I, uh, I don't know, man. I think... See there, we went through there, and by the time we got to the end, we're we're up to a good seven or eight games that could be contenders for a nominated game of the year, right? I exactly. still think I still think the easiest way to say it is is it's Elden Rings to lose. Um, yes. Right now, there's nothing even. I, I would bet I five I Papa John's Papadias 
that <laughs> Elden Ring wins game of the year. I, I don't. Bet. I don't want those, but yeah, I, <laughs> I still. I still think. Oh, I still cool. think it'll win. Quick status update: We were making memes about Papa Diaz a few episodes back. Maybe it was with Rand. I forget who we were talking with or where it was, but I was joking about the Papa John's Papa Diaz and how I haven't had them, and I was making it a point to try them. Folks, I've tried the Papa John's Papa Diaz. Quick aside here: It's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> it ruined my evening. I got to say, I ate it. It was the meatiest, cheesiest, <laughs> greasiest thing I've ever eaten in my entire life. And I felt bad for two days. I felt oh, like that destroyed my gut biome. My entire body was trying to like come to terms with what was in it and trying to figure out how to save itself. My God. Do not recommend. Papa John's Papa, Papa Diaz, zero stars out of five. <laughs> zero. Uh, anyway, let's uh, get to some super chats here. Uh, Jeremy G says, bad, 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 bad. So, yeah, proving my theory right. You can super chat bad infinite times, but YouTube will not let you super chat the word good. Hmm? Conspir if you want a conspiracy, there's one. There's one for you. There you go. Um, oh, there you go. There's Pompa. Miles, have you had a chance to play Madison? Also, what game are you guys looking forward to more, Callisto or Dead Space Remake? I'll start with the mm. first question. I am currently playing through Madison. I put up a preview over on Windows Central. I like it quite a bit. Um, there are bugs, though. The uh, Xbox version, when you get an achievement sometimes, uh, it just closes. <laughs> the game just turns off. So that's an issue that's being addressed. They reached out to me. Um, and then shortly after they reached out to me about that issue, I was playing. And sure enough, boop, just turned off. And I was like, OK, cool. That's fun. I haven't lost any progress, but it is annoying. But the overall experience, really, really interesting. All right, Callisto Protocol or Dead Space? What are you more hyped for? Callisto, bar none. Oh, same. Yeah, yeah. In I'm fact, I'm, Dead Space in remake, fact Callisto is making me less hyped for Dead Space. You're not lying, yeah. Because I think, so we, well, first, of course, we know what Dead Space is, right? And yeah. even remaking it, it looks to be, it doesn't look up to the kind of, um, modern or kind of fidelity of uh, Callisto. Callisto looks to be pushing that bar um, forward, you know, of what we expect out of that. Plus, it's a brand new experience. And it's a, if you're not, if you're unaware of how talented the team is at striking distance and who's making Callisto Protocol, look it up because there's a reason that we're so excited for that game. That game is going to be, I, I'll be shocked if that game's not incredible. I'm excited for both. Don't get me wrong. I will be playing both. The reason I'm so excited about Callisto Protocol is because I love Dead Space. And I've yeah. been very vocal about the fact that I don't like the way that EA treated Visceral. I don't like how that whole saga played out. And the fact that Visceral came out put and put out three amazing Dead Space games. Three, you know, less amazing as a horror game, but still a good co-op game. Um, and then was like, all right, peace. Make a battlefield that nobody's going to like, and then we're going to shut you down. I'm like, my God, dude. Yeah, you terrible. did them dirty, and I don't like that. So to see them come out and hopefully supersede the efforts of Dead Space, and I love, I just for the juicy drama, I love the fact that Callisto Protocol is coming out the month before the Dead Space remake. As, as what I hope is just a, hey, F-U-E-A, like, we're putting this out, and we're going to eat your lunch a little bit. And so that's going to force EA to really have to deliver with that remake. And again, I'm excited for both, but I am far more excited for Callisto Protocol. Yeah, agreed. Um, let me, I'm catching up on Super Chats. Y'all been killing it. Hargit Chani says, 
Uh, will we see Halo Infinite at the Game Awards this year? Possibly even a Game of the Year nomination. Uh, Elden Ring is already winning Game of the Year. <laughs> we touched on this a little bit. Do you think Halo has a chance at all to be in the Game of the Year? I think in it has a chance to be nominated. Yeah, I don't think it has a chance to win. Um, and I, I think it may win or it may uh, you know, be in a few other categories, right? Uh, because there's there's tons of different categories. So I think yeah, I think you'll see Halo Infinite at the Game Awards, uh, regardless of the ongoing conversation within the community about content delivery and stuff. I mean, if you just look at the, the like you said, the campaign, the initial delivery of that game was very well received. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be there. Um, I, it's, it's not going to win Game of the Year. No. I'll tell you what, Halo Infinite is not going to win, and that's the best ongoing game category. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it's not going to win that. But yeah. I do think we'll see Halo Infinite nominated for at least a couple categories. I, yeah. I really do. Again, like you touched on, the, the initial launch of that game was really, really genuinely great in a lot of regards. And again, the conversations have not been positive in recent months, and that's a separate conversation. But I do think... Halo is still infinite of some nominations. Whether it'll be the actual game of the year or if it'll be best multiplayer or whatever, I don't know for sure, but I expect it to be nominated in a few categories. Yep. Um, RG Chani says, Ragnarok, Horizon Forbidden West, GT7, Last of Us Remake, Stray, and maybe they'll allow Elden Ring as game of the year nominees. <laughs> Stray. I'm, I'm excited for that. That game looks just weird enough to get me going. You know, the, the concept of yeah. just playing as a cat and the latest trailer showcasing this dark, almost dystopian horror element. Like everyone in this world is running from the cat. Now I'm curious to see what the overarching mystery drama of this world is, because is the cat a villain? Is the cat a sign of like the end times? Like, why is everyone running from the cat? You know, you're supposed to go up and pet cats, but <laughs> what's going on here? So, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm excited <laughs> for that. I like that as the cat they showed yesterday that you can walk up and scratch walls. Like, oh, what? yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> Lean into um, the cat mechanics, all right? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really know what Stray is. Like, I'm intrigued enough. I'm, I want to play it. It looks cool, but I don't really know kind of what, what they're going for there. We'll find out. So let's do it. That's coming up this month, right? A couple weeks? Yeah. Two yeah. Weeks? Couple weeks. We, get, we get quite a few things this month, actually, which are cool. We got uh, Hot Wheels coming. Hot Wheels, yeah, uh, there we, I missed out on, because I didn't really start playing Forza Horizon until 4, so I did oh, not get to experience okay. Forza wow. Horizon 3 Hot Wheels, so I'm ready, I'm ready for Forza Horizon 5 Hot Wheels, because I, I was so excited about the Lego expansion for 4, but it was okay. It didn't Just, do much for me. It, it had cool environments, but it, you didn't have any tracks, there were no yeah. Lego tracks really, and that's. That's what I want. I want the big Hot Wheels track. So let's go. We got yeah. Live Alive, Xenoblade Chronicles 3, Digimon Survive. If you're a JRPG fan, this month is kind of dumb, to be honest. Yeah. I don't know why on earth they're releasing that many in the same month. But yeah, is what it is. Live Alive, I'm, I'm really interested in checking out. I actually forgot about that until you were posting about it the other day. And I was like, holy crap, I forgot that was coming. I really want to check that out because... I got my Steam Deck a few days ago, finally. Yeah! And one of the first things I bought was the Final Fantasy uh, Pixel Remaster Collection. Uh, just because I adore the classic, you know, JRPGs from the 8 and 16-bit era. So, uh, yeah, I need to check that out, man. So we dropped a poll in here by request of the audience, if you're watching live, for Game of the Year 2022 between <laughs> Elden Ring and God of War. It was close. And 
I'm, <laughs> you know, I know, I know how this chat leans. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're at 91% with Elden Ring and 9% saying God of War. So we'll, we'll see. Stay tuned. We'll, we'll yeah, find out. We'll, we'll see if we have another Red Dead 2 moment. Um, like, like I said, I have five Papadias on the line <laughs> here. All right. High stakes for me. The one thing I will say compared to the Red Dead 2 situation is that despite Red Dead 2's critical acclaim, I think it's an absolute masterpiece. Um, there are people who have complaints with that game, right? Uh, in its pacing, in some of the things you do in that game. And there was, I don't think it generated the kind of industry-wide acclaim that Elden Ring has done. So uh, that may be a different situation, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, by the way, I just want to quickly mention a few people have mentioned this game, and we have mentioned it is Warhammer Dark Tide, which looks incredible. Pump for but, that. So. I, I'm a simple, simple man. If you give me a, a co-op shooter that's in the horror space, I'm playing it. That's it. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what it is, how good <laughs> it is. I will at least check it out. I liked Vermintide quite a bit because that kind of yeah. scratched the Left 4 Dead itch, and I'm hoping this is like an evolution of that. Yeah, um, it, it looks like it. Let's see. So let's go. Metal Hellslinger is another one. Yeah. If you haven't played that demo, go check out that demo right now. God, if you love Doom and you love rhythm games, so good. <laughs> so, so good. So many legendary figures from Metal on the soundtrack. Oh, that game. <laughs> I played that demo for, I think, like an hour and a half. I played that oh, demo really? for a long time. Long, it's really long short time. too. Right? Yeah, it's really short. It's a few minutes long. So I was just in the groove, just replaying it, <laughs> doing the boss fight, getting that 16 times combo. Then the vocals kick in. Then you're just vibing to the track. Oh, it's good. Oh, it's so good. All right, Ains, I think that's going to do it. I think that's going to do it for this week's episode of Xbox Chatterdays. Huge shout out to everyone who tuned in live. If you dug the show, hit the like button. If you are listening on audio services and you enjoyed the show, leave us a positive you if you wouldn't mind Ains for the amazing people joining us let them know one more time where they can get a hold of you yeah man thanks so much man always love hanging out with you fun conversation thank you chat for chilling with us today um you can find me on uh, twitter porsche power uh or just look up Ains. there's not many people with my name i'm easy to find uh and then like i said you check us out over at season gaming um we cover everything we do cover a lot of xbox like i said i talk a lot of xbox and, and write a lot about it um but we do cover everything and it's all from a uh, non-biased non-monetized standpoint so uh, if you enjoy kind of independent gaming coverage check out the channel check out the site i would greatly appreciate it and we do a uh, weekly live show with um every sunday morning which uh miles has been a part of you know we've had a lot of guests over there but um really a lot of growth over there on the big cast lately and um you know i think it's a pretty unique show and what we talk about and how we talk about things so if you like that you like live shows check us out sunday mornings 11 a.m eastern um that's it man thank you so much yeah, love being you, on if you guys enjoyed ains on this show make sure you go show the dude some love again him and i talk a lot behind the scenes great dude love talking with him love what he's doing over there thanks, and appreciate you coming on my man thanks brother appreciate that and one more time, if you didn't catch us at the top of the show, there will not be an episode next week as I will be at a game preview. Um, but yeah, look forward to catching up with you Ooh. the week after and I'll have a new game to talk about. So nice. Take care and have a great weekend, everybody.